Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark. And for episode 10, we are going back to our very first guest on StarkCast. I am talking with Dr. James Wetzel again today. How you doing, James? Not too bad. How are you, Joe? I'm great. Great. It is so exciting to get down and uh, hang out with you again. Cool. That's, this is a pleasure. And, uh, and of course, I'm going to move stuff around here. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, our first episode, we talked a lot about science and stuff. And, and black um, holes. And what? And black holes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not science. No. Yeah. <laughs> mystery science, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> In that mystery science theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you notice that that's back on Netflix? I did. I saw that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited yes. to watch it again. It's going to be great. <laughs> let's see. Let's see how quickly. That's like 50 seconds in. I derailed us already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. <laughs> but um, uh, so what was it? Probably about like a month or so back. Mm-hmm. We were at a, a, a mutual friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. And and we got uh, started talking a little bit of politics stuff. And we, we both decided that'd be a fun podcast to do. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, what better way to kick off episode 10 than uh, to piss a bunch of listeners off? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and cement uh, our reputations. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we're not we're not getting into this to do really a sort of bashing, but mo- just really more hash out what a lot of the verifiable data on on some of the current going on goings on in America and and whatnot. Yeah. Just give some sides to the controversies and. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me personally, I do the most I can to escape the reality of what is really going on in America. Because in certain ways, I mean, beyond I, I get out and vote as much as I can and, you know, do my civic duties. But I don't know, I, I start to get a feeling that if I let myself get all fired up, over things that I truly don't have any control over. It, it almost feels like worrying or, you know, just like sitting in a rocking chair. Yeah. No, it's just it, something to do, but it's it, it, very unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And so I do the best I can to escape it. And so like personally, you know, that's one of the great things about with me going out climbing or just being in the woods. It's an excellent way to get away, not think about the giant shithole that the world can be. If you start to go down that path and, so I, I, it's, it's really refreshing at times to be on Facebook and scroll for a long time and not see anything about politics, especially in this day and age. Yep. But the ones that I'll always stop and read are the ones that you write out because they are very, they're very well thought out and, and you put them in, in a manner that they don't have a bias. Right. And that's my, that's my goal. Right. And, and that's great because then it's like, okay, now I'm just getting data because it seems like. And and I've gotten really good at, at figuring it out by the website name when people <laughs> post links. Yeah, I read the website name and I go, hmm, you might be a biased site. Yeah. And it, and if you know if you got the one liberal website here saying you know global warming is real and it's happening, and then you got the conservative website saying no, it's a Chinese hoax. Yeah. <laughs> or right, some right. you know fucking yeah. total bullshit like that. Yeah. And what it's do like, you believe? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to read either one. Right. Because I've got my own views that I think of it, and I don't need to read one or the other one that's going to piss me off. And maybe even the the one. I mean, I personally believe in global warming, uh-huh. but I still don't want to read the liberal ones because it's like, yeah, you just tell me a bunch of shit that I more or less already know. I'm already concerned about it. Yeah. Well, and and you know, if you have an emotional response to a news article. Uh, it's probably not a good article because a lot of this stuff is just nuts and bolts, just 
you know, what's going on and what do we do and that's it. And let's solve the problem if there's a problem. Otherwise, it doesn't bother us, doesn't affect us. So we shouldn't have to worry about it. Um, and I think, you know, America is a pretty cool place because you can go in the woods and forget about it and and not worry that you are, you know, threatening your own future by not paying that close of attention because our setup is pretty good and that we're really trying to create a really nice government, like an optimal situation. Like we're at the very edges of the problems we're trying to solve in terms of a government. Like our government is is pretty good and we're worried about some very small things that we get all riled up about that, uh, you know, we we have the ability to get upset about those things, which is, you know, it's it's very... It's very nice to be in a country like America where you don't have to be that engaged. And that's why our voter participation is so low is because people's lives are pretty great already. So why do they need to go to the polls if they don't have anything they want to change? And so that's how I think about our uh, why our voter uh, participation is so low, because um, we, we already do a pretty good job. Yeah, that's... and. Do you think that part of it being so low is that there's a lot of people who are really cynical that think that, you know, I doesn't matter if I go out and vote because things are going to go. And I mean, that's something that really we've been seeing echoed a lot since the last election, where it was such a big difference in, in Clinton winning the popular vote, but Trump getting the electoral vote. And that's why he was able to win the presidency. Well, you know, and Donald Trump will say this and his campaign will say this, that you, you play the game that the way it's designed to be played, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the the game is the electoral college. So if you're playing for the popular vote, you do one strategy. If you're playing for the electoral vote, you do the other strategy. And uh, all, I mean, the, the difference in votes is less than 10,000 votes across those three Rust Belt states. And that was the difference. So um, a very, very small margin um, a victory for Donald Trump. If you look at Michigan, Pennsylvania, these states, it was it was a very close election, and he played hard for those states. Hillary Clinton ignored those states, and uh, there was a report I saw that Bill Clinton threw his phone. He was so mad. Yeah, I read that. Too. Yeah, that nobody was listening to him saying you have to go after Ohio, you have to go after because you're going to lose them, and and they didn't think they would. And that's, you know, that's the game. So I think people were cynical before because, you know, there's certain things you can't change in government. There's certain things that just go forward and are the way it is. And if you worry about those things and you don't understand why they don't change, then you can feel cynical. But if you really, I mean, you're seeing it right now with Donald Trump, who there was, you know, the... (laughs) Mainstream media's big headline for the last few days is Donald Trump flip-flops on six major campaign issues, you know, the Chinese currency manipulation thing, a bunch of these things. And and uh, it's really because once you get in there, you start learning how this thing works and you change your position, not because you fundamentally change how you think about things, but you've added more information to how you view the problem and you go, oh... 
you get the context for it and you go, okay, maybe we do need this regulation because we don't want people getting electrocuted. And before that regulation, people got electrocuted all the time, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. you, you can't just say, well, let's get rid of regulation or whatever. There's plenty of regulation to get rid of. But once you get in there and you start looking at this stuff, you go, wow, there's reasons for doing this. And this is our American government system. Our legal system is super powerful because everything needs a good reason. You can't just do something because you want to in our country. You can't pass any law just because you want to. That's how other countries operate. But in the United States, you need to have a reason to do something, and it needs to have good legal and scientific basis for the decision you're making, and you got to argue that in front of a judge because someone's going to challenge that law. And if it doesn't make sense, and if there isn't evidence for it, then and people are harmed or whatever, then those laws get overturned all the time. But people don't understand that that's how that it works, and they think you can just go pass a law and then and everything's going to be. Yeah, let's get rid of that law. That'll be great. Uh, but that's not how it works. And so, and again, Donald Trump is running into this with the travel ban. That's with, what I was just going to bring up with the travel ban. Uh, yep, travel ban. I mean, many of his executive orders are now in the courts because um, even ones about the EPA, ones about the Environmental Protection Agency, um, you can't just pass a law that, you know, it's, people say this all the time if you, um, uh, some of the pundits, everything Obama did in the last eight years, it was hoop after hoop after hoop and legal, legal, legal and process, process, process to get all of his, the climate change stuff, all that stuff, environmental protections, any anything that got through. You can't, even Obama can't just pass a law and say, ta-da, it has to have good re, uh, legal, you know, facts and stuff behind it you got to be able to argue the case because someone's going to sue you and you're going to lose and that's our political process so everything obama did if trump wants to undo that he has to be able to demonstrate his legal team he has to be able to demonstrate why he wants to reverse certain policy actions because obama had to demonstrate why they should have gone in in the first place so for for that test to be passed by what Obama did, it's going to be very hard for uh, another administration to come in and undo those same things if there was already a good reason to put them in. Okay. So and does that cover like the executive orders? It covers executive orders. It covers, I mean, anything the administration does, anything like that, water regulations on farms, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you can't just, I mean, even the president, even within the executive branch, he can't just... You know, we we have the three parts of government, right? But even within the executive branch, you think the president has full control over the executive. He can't even do a lot of that stuff. And so even if he was going to direct his own executive branch to do something, it still needs a good legal reasoning and science and everything behind it. You have to be able to demonstrate stuff because if you can't, it will fail in court. And that's what, again, that's what you're seeing with the travel ban and these things. The travel ban was put in, but there was no security threat that they could demonstrate. And that was an issue. If they could if they could have easily pointed, oh, people are sneaking across the border from Iraq and Syria into all these countries and they're going to get on planes from there and then come over and they're plotting this huge thing. 
no brainer that instantly travel ban makes perfect sense but there they had nothing and if you listen to the actual uh debate between the judge and the lawyers that were trying to the administration um lawyers trying to argue for the ban that it should be in there the judges were like what what's why what's your reason for it and they couldn't say so just because you want to do something doesn't mean it's going to happen and this is what the Trump administration is running into. This is what the Obama administration ran into. Um, Gitmo, classic example, Guantanamo Bay. Obama, eight yeah. years, tried to close that thing, and he could not. And it's a, it's you can't just do something, right? So uh, people have to understand that. And even and Trump supporters that are getting disillusioned right now, and Obama supporters who got disillusioned for him not going far enough and things. That's not how the government works. You don't elect someone in to do stuff. You elect someone in to manage the government, which is a very difficult task and it's a monotonous task and it's just work, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's there, it's public service. You know, you, you want someone in there making decisions, thinking about the nuts and bolts of the problems coming up day to day. And there's broad policy things you can do, but you got to work with Congress. You got to work with uh, the justice system to make sure your stuff's legal. You know, this is, this is tough. This is hard stuff. So uh, I'm not surprised that, Right now, the Trump administration is running into so many issues that they can't, you know, health care reform or, you know, all these things. They couldn't do the repeal and replacement. They can't do the travel ban. They can't do the. And that's just because they were thinking, I, I think this honestly, that they could get in there and just start doing stuff and that they didn't have yeah. to consider these other things. Exactly. Yeah, I think. And I think also that a lot of people in America are unaware that this works because I mean, and it's, it's no surprise that I'm unaware of this. Cause like I said, I <laughs> try and bury my head in the sand with a, with a lot of these <laughs> things, whether that's the right thing or not to do. It's just what I do moving well, forward. The most important thing is to be a good citizen and then you don't need the government to do anything. So yeah. Yeah. Know, I, I have a policy where I try and keep myself to, I don't want to negatively impact the people around me. Right. And Likewise, I don't want them to negatively impact me. Exactly. Like when my dog is out in the yard, if she starts barking, I put an end to that shit right away <laughs> because I would like my neighbors to do the same. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Hint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, but it's true. Yeah. 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 And, and it'd be, if, it just seems to me like if the whole world just thought like that, it what? could get along a lot better. But for whatever reasons, at times there's people at the top that would rather... No, I'd rather be a dick to this person and then they're going to be a dick to us. And it's like a never ending vicious cycle. Yeah, no, that's the that's the um, the perfect the perfect case study is the United fiasco in the last couple of weeks. Right. Mm, Where yeah. there was the passenger that needed to be removed so that a United employee could take that flight. Um, the the example is. United had the power in that situation. They were the power broker, right? They they were in charge of the whole thing in that area. And they had a customer that came on the flight and was expecting to go home or whatever. And sitting in the seat, they told him he had to get up and give up his seat. So you have a, a perfect example right there. Like, you don't want to have to have a regulation about that. You don't want to have to pass a law that says you can't take someone out of their seat if they've already paid, you know, but 
you, if people do that, is that okay? Are we okay with it? apparently forty thousand people a year or something like that are bumped? Are we okay with with corporations being able to maximize their profit in order to take advantage of these unlucky people? I mean, if we're okay with that, if people are willing to give up and get the voucher, you know, that's one thing. But if they're if they're kind of making people give up seats without their choice, is that so this is a complex situation in the, in the flight industry. People have been talking about a bill of rights for passengers, a passenger's bill of rights or something like that. Certain things that they, you know, if you bought a ticket on a plane, you should be able to sit on the plane, for example, a bill of rights. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's an example of we shouldn't need that regulation. But when people start abusing people and start taking advantage of people and they end up getting broken noses you know, when it comes to a head because nobody wants to give in and this guy feels like he was getting an injustice. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep everything, you know, I guess my point was that people, if people are good to each other, you don't need the government to intervene. You don't need laws passed. But I mean, another example is the president right now, no tax return releases, and people, I know that's an annoying thing to bring up, but it's just an example of where... That's honestly something that bothers the hell out of me, though. Well, and it bothers a lot of people, and some people it doesn't bother, but the point is that it's an example of where every president in the last whatever has just done it, and there was no law about it, and now we're going to have to pass a law about it that says when you run for president, you have to release your tax returns because... You know, Donald Trump didn't do it. And yeah. it's something that we think is important as, a, you know, we've got to understand what's going on and just to make sure he's honest. Well, and that's that's the biggest identifier corruption. Yeah, exactly. Is, you need to show us what your money situation is, where, right. where it's coming in from, that sort of stuff. Right. And I like one of the biggest problems I have with politicians being so wealthy is that why in the hell... Or how in the hell are you going to come up with issues for an everyday American if you're living a lifestyle that is so far above what the average American lives? How can you have the sort of mind to even come up with a fix for a problem of everybody else if, you know, you got people that live paycheck to paycheck, but you got a legislator that has three or four different houses and, and millions of dollars in the bank, and then they've also got... A situation set up so that when they retire, they're going to get a huge paycheck pension, right? Like no, constantly, yeah. and it's well, and a senator gets one hundred and sixty thousand dollar a year salary anyway. So as soon as you become a senator, you reach that one percent level, you know? Yeah. So and I don't. I I want to. See, if you're in a public office and you're being able to make policy that the rest of us have to live by, I want all your cards to be on the table. Oh yeah. And if no, you're not yeah. comfortable with that, you shouldn't be in public office. Yeah. No. I stay think... in the private sector. If if you want to keep everything a secret and keep all your cards against your vest, that's fine. That's your right. But you can't put yourself in charge of the rest of us and not be transparent with yeah, us. It's no, I understand that. N- not when corruption on that level can be so detrimental to the health of the country. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I would say that, um, you know, I think there's plenty of people that are very rich that could that can do the job very easily and, and help everybody. So I, I think, you know, I don't worry too much if someone is rich, 
if they are running for office or doing something, I don't necessarily mind. Um, I think if they've demonstrated a lifetime of doing what's right and have integrity, then then that's all that matters. But just like what you're saying, if someone is going to run for public office, they need to be held accountable to the public. That's part of the and, job. And yeah, that's more where I was coming with. Yeah. Not not just bagging on the rich for yeah, the right. sake of bagging on the rich. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, no, no, yeah. But it, I think it is important to know where does this money come from? What what sort of influences are you under? What is yeah, going to yeah. potentially color exactly. your judgment? Right, right, right. And also with so many of these people already being, you know, like you'd said, kind of in the 1%, why do you need to make such a big wage every year? And... My idea that that I've that I'm always touting about is I would like to see legislators earn the median income of their district. <laughs> you know, if you're if you if the median income in your district is right above the poverty level, that's what you make every year. Right. That's what you get. And when you're out of office, you're not going to get any sort of pension or anything anymore because let's face it, you clawed your way up to one of the higher offices that there is, you're going to do just fine. You don't need a hand up for the rest of your life, not at the taxpayer's expense. Right. And and I don't like seeing public officials, you know, game the system like that. It's It bothers me on a really deep level. Like, right. Um, like, there's plenty of things that you can hate on for Trump. And and just to get it out of the way, in in the last election, I wouldn't have been happy with either outcome. Oh, I think that was... Uh, of the big two. If Clinton would have been in office, I'd be just as pissed and I'd just be bitching about <laughs> different stuff. I think everybody is in the same Because, boat. yeah, I yeah. think we were handed a giant shit sandwich in the last election. <laughs> and, like, no matter what end you took a bite out of... Yeah, no, that's I true. Mean, it it had been great if if somebody that seemed to be very benevolent, like Bernie Sanders would have would have gotten in but who knows what sort of world that would have been well i'll tell you one thing that i i think the last election was uh, an anomaly in terms of everything because i think clinton was expected to just sort of win and I so was shocked as hell when i got off that next morning and saw that trump won i was no, like no, no i mean fucking i mean from the very beginning and so i don't think there were there weren't any strong democratic candidates and there weren't that many strong Republican candidates. Okay, I get what you're saying. And because everybody assumed it would be Clinton, nobody wanted to play the game. You know uh, what I mean? And so that's why it seemed like we had such a, a bad crop of people to choose from. I think it just came down to nobody wanted to run against Clinton because they assumed she would just wipe the table and they they would wait their turn until another day. And so, you know, it turned out that Clinton isn't good at campaigning isn't good at running for office uh, i mean you got a guy that sexually assaults women bragging about it and she couldn't beat him you know that's, that's like insane yeah and so and but at the same time i sort of understand you know like well, she i know a lot of people so, had a huge problem with her yeah that's what i mean and it was just because she just seemed so untrustworthy whether or not that was true or not she just couldn't get ahead of the email scandal she couldn't get ahead of the whatever and like you can blame comey and you can blame other people for making it an issue or bringing it up to the forefront but as president or as a presidential candidate that's going to be happening all the time and you have to be able to get ahead of this stuff and if you cannot yeah. get ahead of it you will not be able to succeed as president and so when people are worried about trump or clinton I try to remind people that it was going to be a mess no matter what, and we're in a mess no matter what. And uh, it, and if you think, if you really think Hillary would have been a much better candidate, uh, I do think from government down, she would have put 
smarter people in certain positions, you know, like in her cabinet, for example. You wouldn't have Rick Perry as oh, Secretary well, of Trump's, Energy. Trump's picks that he's put in so far have been really astounding. Yeah, well, you Especially have... when he was going in saying stuff like, I'm going to drain the swamp. Well, it's like, forget well, about that. That was just, like well, he said, that played well, well before the election. It, well, <laughs> and so much of his stuff has been exactly that. It's been just rhetoric. And then coming well, back right. around to when you're a president, you got to be able to deal with scandals and you got to right. be able to get ahead of things. Right. Trump's not even playing that game. Right. He's just coming out and just flat out ignoring it or just saying well, you're a liar you know, or just booting the people out of the press. Right. No, the, and the, the, this is just comes down to him not being a good or an experienced politician. This is just him. Well, he's not a politician to, at all. That's he, what I he's mean. Just he's just a corporate head that's now gotten this job and he's trying to treat it in a way that we've never seen it treated before right and it's very very weird times because of it yeah yeah no so um yeah he's 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 figuring it out let's put it that way and you can see again those six flip-flops that the mainstream media has been talking about that's that's him getting into the game right and and you can see steve banning being pushed sort of aside and stephen miller being sort of pushed aside and this david cohen coming in who's a moderate democrat you know like in the white house so he's starting to and he's got a whole cabinet filled with goldman sachs executives so this is a guy that's you know his opinion really depends on the last person he talked to and he gave Steve, it does seem like that like yeah. he'll have a talking point and it's like hey that was on breitbart this morning well oh. he doesn't you know he, does, he doesn't have a lot of experience and yeah. and he doesn't he can't decipher what's good or bad information because he doesn't have a lot of context for this stuff but um he gave steve bannon a chance he gave steve miller a chance he gave his cabinet a chance to do those the travel ban to do the health care reform to do the and they failed and he's a guy who wants to quote win right he, he wants to succeed and these guys couldn't get it done so he's starting to say okay well these guys don't know what they're doing now he sees it unfortunately it took him, you know, a little while to see that, um, to recognize that these guys, if they don't have government experience, they're not going to be able to do major policy stuff. It's just, this is a hard job and it's uh -huh. complicated and you need to know a bunch of practical stuff to hit the ground running. And so he brought in this cabinet of outsiders, quote, you know, we would call them outsiders. And this is the danger of that. And this uh, Barack Obama is so funny because Trump and Obama were very similar in terms of their rhetoric when they came in. They're going to change Washington. They're going to, you know, be the outsiders. They're going to la, 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 la. And they both passed bans against lobbyists, right, being in the White House. And Obama immediately starts making exceptions because you need people that need that have that experience to do stuff. Yeah. You know, you if you need an electrician, you need an electrician. You can't ban electricians and then say, well, okay, we're going to need an electrician. You know, these lobbyists, what are lobbyists? They're people that understand policy and try to get policy enacted and try to influence policy. Whether we like it or not, they are the cogs in the machine of yeah, government. Yeah, and we need them. Okay. You know, we need them. You're not going to a congressman and lobbying them, right? Yeah. You, you need people to do that and then you fund the lobbyists hopefully or you know you mm -hmm. fund the nrdc or uh lulac or whatever the nra you f you put your money into those people and they do the lobbying and they're supposed to inform the congressman and the congressman makes the decision hopefully based just on what the lobbyist tells them not based on what the lobbyist is going to give them yeah. in return but making good smart decisions and so you know 
Okay, I guess that's a way I've never looked at lobbyists. And, you know, for as much as I try and not generalize things, I think that that was definitely something that I'd generalize then because it's not really the lobbyist that's its issue. It's more the way the power of a lobbyist is used. That's right. And how the senator responds or what the senator wants from the lobbyist. Is the senator an person with integrity that wants to do good things? Uh Then they're going to seek out every lobbyist. Tell me what you got. Let me hear it. Give me your pitch. And the good lobbyist with the best pitch, that's who he's going to support. But if you've got a guy that's like, well, can you scratch my back? Can I get a campaign contribution? You know? And that's the sort of shit that that needs to not be happening. Exactly. And what do you think of term limits for legislators? Uh, I don't know. Um, do you think a career politician is a good thing? Well, I think that term limits are elections. I think we have term, term limits. They're called elections. I think gerrymandering is a huge problem that's become absolutely that's made districts quote-unquote safe uh why don't you explain what gerrymandering is real quick in case people don't know what that is so basically if you have a population and let's say um half are republicans and half are democrats then you would want that district to be drawn in a way so a congressman is going to represent these people and then they're going to draw a box around them Mm -hmm. ideally you'd want it to be 50 50 50 democrats 50 republicans uh or i'm sorry you'd want to be completely you want it to be geographically split up correctly right you'd want it to i'm trying to think about this this is embarrassing um do you want 50 50 democrats and republicans in the same district or you want to represent everybody, right? And mm-hmm. so ideally, okay, I think I get it now. Ideally, the best district would have only Republicans in it mm-hmm. and only Democrats in it. Uh, when you draw a district so that it's 80% Republicans and 20% Democrats, then the Democrat is never going to w- win. Mm-hmm. So you you want your districts to be drawn to represent best represent the people, and the most fair district is going to have fifty fifty because you can't obviously draw a perfect one about around all of the Republicans in a certain district, and people will change parties, whatever. So you don't you want to draw districts in a way that it's a fair election that you got. Republicans and Democrats, but then you get that independent group that can swap between whoever they think is better, that aren't idealistic or ideologues about who they vote for. So a good district, and they can use algorithms to draw these, which also can be abused, but you want a district to be drawn so that the best person wins the election, not the one with the R or the D by their name. And so Mm -hmm. you want to be able to get, you don't want to stack the deck against one party or the other that unfairly and people try to do it and the republican got republicans got very good at it the last 10 15 years and that was their strategy was just gerrymander to hell everything as much as they can to verify or to ensure that an r would win because r's would show up and r's would vote and that district was primarily r's that's it and so um what they've done is they've They've drawn districts so that Democrats are a minority in all these districts. So th- so you would think that one district might have a majority Republicans. Okay, well, the neighboring district is going to have a majority Democrats, so it sort of balances out. But no, they would, they would rig it so that you'd get a little sliver of Democrats, but mostly Republicans. And then you'd cut into that little sliver of Democrats on the other side, and then you cut into a little sliver of Democrats. So you get majority. Basically, think of like 
a metro area like Dallas, Texas, and draw a pizza around it. So as you go out from the city, it gets redder. It gets more Republican. And draw these pizza slices coming towards the middle. You get a tiny slice of the city where the Democrats are, but Mm -hmm. you got a huge area of Republicans. And draw that district, slice up Austin, Texas, for example, slice up these cities so that their power is weakened, so that you still get Republicans representing those districts, the Democratic people in those districts. So um, it's very clever. It, no, it was no secret that they were doing it. It was someone just came out with a book about that. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, so yeah, it's a it's a interesting problem. And so what I've read is that Barack Obama getting out of office, him and his uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder, they're dedicating themselves to combating this gerrymandering thing um, to make it back to try to get it more fair to just rep- better represent mm-hmm. you know you don't want to have one party in the minority in a district and not have that balanced out by another district so there should be equal representation of if if you've got 50% uh democrats and 50% republicans then your state better be 50-50 if you've got 20% democrats and 80% republicans then you should have more republicans in congress but if you stack it so that no Democrats get represented in a state where there's, you know, because you in a red state, for example, the the cities are usually blue, yeah. And so if you can stack that state and and just like Austin, Texas, if you can get rid of any Democrat from having a chance in Texas, then then you have no uh, uh, Democrats in Congress. Then that's great for Texas and great for Republicans. So uh, that's the gerrymandering problem in a nutshell and that's why uh um right now you've got a bunch of activists trying to undo that that pro that uh, that seems like it'd be a a good reform because you know i'm a big believer in fair play yeah so exactly when the the game starts to get rigged for one side or the other it's annoying it it is annoying everybody loses and and even if you're you know on quote unquote the winning side that should still bother you well and it it should bother republicans too because these guys that are getting elected aren't representing republican interests they're representing different interests and they're taking advantage of the voters who are putting them in there yeah i mean just look at the obamacare fiasco these guys aren't doing what they promised that they would do and they don't need to because they're in safe districts where gerrymandering has said well don't worry you won't be responsible you won't be held accountable in your district because you know you don't have to worry about anything. There's because so many... they're going to vote for you just because of the letter that yeah, that just follows your you're name. A Republican, that's right. Or do you, a Democrat. Do you think that our um, like team mentality? Do you think that that is a detriment to this country? I think it can be. I think yeah. I think people identify themselves as Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, and as soon as you identify yourself with something. It's very hard to unidentify yourself with that. That's right? very true. And uh, that's true of ISIS. You know, you take it to the extreme. Once a guy becomes an ISIS fighter, that sucks. <laughs> that person is doomed, you know? You, you're not getting them back. They've committed to something crazy. Yeah, in in any sort of extremism freaks right. me out. Right, right. And, yep. and I don't see much of a difference between religious extremism. I don't care what 
God you're putting your extremism towards. Right. It's no matter what, when you when you're willing to harm other people based upon an idea, especially right. an idea, you know, I mean not yeah, not right. not to sound sensational or anything, but an idea based on like an invisible guy in the sky sure. and what could potentially happen to you in an afterlife. These are all ideas. Right. And and ideas are wonderful as long as they build you up right. but when when the process of building you up has to tear down the other people around you then it's become a negative thing exactly and that's exactly. what i do not like about extremism that's i don't right. i don't like seeing negativity in the yep. world yeah, and extremism no. rides in the same cart as negativity yeah no you do not need to hurt someone to make yourself better that's just a fundamental thing that people need to really keep in the front of their heads like you do not need to hurt someone to help you you don't need to make someone look bad to make yourself look good that exactly nobody cares at that level like get over it you know you don't and so you got to think to yourself how can i make myself better what can i do to be a better person how can i help other people that's not totally necessary but that's a good attribute to have but as long as you're not actively seeking out a yeah. way to hurt people, then it, well, there's no problem. What, what was that idea that was put forth in, in that movie, uh, A Beautiful Mind, where he like had this idea that if everybody in the group like worked just towards purely their own, you know, greatest goal, then they're all going to fail. But if they all work towards a unified goal while at the same time working for themselves, then they all succeed. I only saw that movie once. <laughs> There's no I in team. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I think did you ever see that movie? I have seen it several times. Okay, because I, I don't thought it was that. based off like a a Nobel winning like idea or something like that that he was able to. Well, I know what the premise of the movie is. I don't in particular remember that. Uh, okay, that this is thing. a horrible idea. Then <laughs> yeah, we have derailed. Uh, no, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like like if you're only. <laughs> No, everything stays in, yeah. especially my stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, so... But no, what I was getting at was yeah. that, um, you know, if... Kind of, for instance, like... like um, I know recently I saw an article that there was some EPA thing res uh, reversed, and coal companies were now starting to be allowed to be able to dump sludge or whatever in streams. Yeah, right. Okay, so... That's great for that coal company because they're able to get rid of something in a much cheaper way of course, and easier way than they were in the past. Right. However, right. in pursuing what is best for them, they're actually doing what is something detrimental to the rest of us, yeah, of you course. know, e.g. polluting the environment, right. which is not only going to affect the now, right. yeah, literally down the stream. Yeah, right. It's going to affect, whereas, you know, yes, if they did work a little bit harder to dispose of it in a way that didn't negatively affect everybody, it's going to help them as a company because they're going to have business for years down the road, but then it's also going to help the people in general around them. Yeah, no, I think the the problem too is that um, these regulations are undone. And if I remember correctly, someone should not take this seriously, but I do think that that regulation had not gone into effect yet. And oh, okay. Trump had just undone what was going to happen. I don't think that that was a rule that was mm -hmm. already in place that he undid. I think it was one that was that he had enough power to roll back before it went implemented. I think that's true. I may be mixing up because there's several things that are like that where they mm -hmm. said Trump undoes Obama, 
like the FCC privacy rules about your internet search history, which we can talk about too, but that w- was a rule that had not gone into effect yet. And so, uh, you know, it's not like he's undoing a lot of things that have already been in the system. It's that he's preventing further. But anyway, these these ideas are usually to say, you know, you look at a coal town that's hard hit and needs jobs. And if you pass a new regulation that makes it more expensive for a company to do something, the argument is that that's going to take away someone's job because the company is not going to be able to afford to pay more money to their workers because they've got to devote more of that money towards this process of making their manufacturing cleaner or whatever. And I have a couple problems with that um, that idea because in my opinion, when someone wants to make money and they need someone to help them, they hire them and they're going to pay them. And if that guy is hired and doing the job, then that's the cost of doing business and you make a profit on the top of that, right? But if now a regulation comes in, that's going to cut into your profits. But does that mean you're going to pay your your guy less or you're not going to give him a raise or, you know, what's the trickle-down effect of that regulation? How expensive is it? And there is a point where you put too many regulations in and then the company just has to go out of business. It's unsustainable. And then everybody loses their job. And so that's the challenge is that you you got to find that balance and you got to work with companies and you got to say, look, this is what we're thinking of. And this is what I, you know, the EPA did a bad job selling a lot of their regulations to farmers. I mean, in Iowa, there's a lot of farmers that hate the EPA for their water quality issues. Um, and the reason is because it's killing the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> so these, you know, yeah. these guys are, um, you know, in Iowa doing their farming stuff. Their runoff gets into the Mississippi, goes all the way down to the Gulf and kills a bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's a big dead zone at the mouth it, of the Mississippi. Right. And so the EPA has been trying to solve that problem so that people in New Orleans can fish again, you know, or whatever the to, to make that ecosystem more vibrant so you can have more fish so it's less toxic you know so it does a better job filtering the crap that comes out of the mississippi just all kinds of stuff and so the epa has been trying to do that but they're a giant federal bureaucracy that comes into your town and says you have to do this and people get upset about that because at the end of the day they're getting less money and they don't see why they should need to get less money because of some water thing, you know? And, and also, it seems the more rural you get, the more you get into the mentality of, I'm doing this on my own, yeah, don't of course. tell me how to do it. Yeah. and it, Which is certainly something I can relate to. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. But at the same time, don't accept $2 billion in aid every year from the government. Yeah, you yep. know, that's so, the other side of the coin there. Right. So the state of Iowa receives huge subsidies, farm subsidies that go straight into farmers' pockets. One farmer gets $50,000, one farmer gets $200,000, one farmer gets this. That comes straight from the government. Okay, well, if you're going to accept them money, you got to accept some responsibility mm-hmm. for your role in the greater society because we expect you to make food that we're going to eat and mm-hmm. we're going to pay you a huge amount of money to do that. And we're going to guarantee if your crops die that you're still going to get paid because you're doing a thing that's good for the public, for the for the country, for mm-hmm. the world. A lot of this food goes to China or down to South America. So, you know, you're, you are a player in the game, in mm-hmm. the big game. And you're going to have to follow some big rules because you are part of the big game. So... 
But at the same time, the EPA can sell that better, right? Instead of just saying, this is the law, you have to follow it. And that's the same thing yeah. with, with the United thing. You can't just go on. You got to have a little bit more touch. Yeah, you can go in and force people to do stuff. You can get your thugs to come in and beat someone up until they do what you want. You don't need to do it that way, right? And we shouldn't live in a country where it's done that way. And if our government, if the EPA is going around bullying people, if they feel that way, then they're not doing a good job. And Absolutely. And you that, catch more flies with honey than vinegar. I mean, and it is true. And it's the same thing with, you know, we dropped the Moab in Afghanistan. And the first thing I think of is like, well, that's a great way to create another thousand terrorists. That's <laughs> that's what I, and that was the biggest problem I had with Obama's increasing all those drone yes. strikes. Yeah, of course. There's no faster way to right. turn somebody who previously was ambivalent or what ambivalent. yeah was was completely ambivalent yeah. and then you kill their child when they had nothing to do with it with right. some random drone strike it's right. like yeah you did that to me i'd have nothing left to live right. for other than revenge right right and so what in the hell what i i understand these people there's there's parts of the world that suck yes and the people that are in power there are doing nothing to make it better right and since we have this insanely strong military supposedly it's up to us to be the world police even right. though the world fucking hates us for doing it <laughs> and we're just locked in this just never-ending cycle of, yeah. oh america's got to be the bad guy and, and go in and clean it up because you know this dickhead in syria is gassing his own people right. or afghanistan creates terrorists right no it's like it's a problem and and the you know i i, I listen to military strategists talk about how the moab that was dropped is going to be so demoralizing to the to the enemy and this is you know in vietnam or iraq or whatever the military talks about when they do something crazy that it's going to demoralize the enemy and i would say number one watch star wars they yeah. blow up an entire <laughs> planet and that didn't demoralize anybody that only emboldened people to fight them. Right? Exactly. Well, if and you so, do something that shows that you're a big evil motherfucker, yeah, I'm right. sorry. I, I support the troops. They're doing something that I could never do, yeah, namely because I can't follow orders. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I can't. Every, even when I was little, they'd be like, hey, do this. Why? Yeah, yeah, right. You right. can't have a soldier that says why. Yeah, and so no, right no, off absolutely. the bat, I could never do that. And I'm right. thankful that they do because I love that, that my right fucking neighborhood has never been scud missile yeah no no that's the great military is awesome in but, every way but at the same time i disagree with some of the things that the people at top do right. because you can't, and that's the thing it's the top it's not the soldier exactly it is at the top it's like oh we're gonna drop the biggest bomb that's non-nuclear yeah. on them and it's gonna in demoralize them. no it's not yeah right. it's gonna demoralize some of them right but the ones who are you know who it's gonna demoralize is united states troops because they're gonna go why are we doing it? Just like you said, eventually people start asking why. And when the troops start asking why and you don't have a good answer, then you got a problem. And so if you look at Iraq, we've been there since 2003. We've been in Afghanistan since 2001. These are the longest wars in American history. And what are we doing? What is the strategy? You cannot bomb your way out of this, right? And so exactly. if, if you are constantly fighting people, they are going to fight you back. That's just how it is. And if you want to test that hypothesis, go around and start 
treating people like crap and see how far you get in life, right? You're going to just, people are going to actively sabotage you in every way when you are acting unjustly. Yeah, you're going to so, alienate people. Yeah, you will alienate people against your cause. And so this is this is the issue with picking on Muslims. If you think Islam is a terrible religion, that's totally fine. But you have to understand that if you tell that to someone who is a Muslim, they are going to want to fight you because you are picking on them, right? So if you go around and start telling these things, and this is why uh, all the generals like H.R. McMaster, even Obama and the other people, um, they tell Trump, they tell you've noticed that Trump's not saying radical Islamic terrorism anymore. He's not saying it. He hasn't said it in weeks. And the reason is because they told him that every time you say that, ISIS is going to take that clip, put it in their stupid videos, and recruit people from that area because they're, they think of Islam like we think of Christianity because it's just there. <laughs> it's just what people believe. Yeah, exactly. It's just their society and it's just the, the way it is. It's sorry, you know, it's too bad. But th these guys are brought up in that area and so they think of Islam as, uh, that's who I am, that's my identity, that's what they identify with. There's a whole slew of people just like in Christianity. You got some people that kind of do it. Some people that really do it, and all different kinds in between. Same thing with Islam. you got the whole sweep of people. So you want to keep the people that are kind of normal on your side. You know, the people that go to work every day, that raise a family, that don't want to fight anybody, that are generally good. Those people exist in Iraq. Those people exist in Syria. Those people exist in those places. But you got crazy people. you got the Ted Kaczynskis, too, that are in uh, those yeah, they're countries. they're in every group of population. Yeah, you're right. gonna have a percentage of people that are out of their fucking minds. Yeah, and you gotta keep them. <laughs> you gotta keep them tamped down. Yeah, right? you yeah. gotta keep them in check. And how do you do that? By keeping the good people on your side, so exactly. that they keep them in check. They keep their son in check, right? Who yeah. might be going a little crazy. They take care of their own people but if you if they go yeah screw the united states and you know <laughs> if they were on their side for a little while and then and then they weren't and you know then they're gonna turn and then you got a big and that's that's this what we call the quagmire right if if there's two options in afghanistan to deal with it kill everybody or learn to get along with people right and so you've got two things two strategies to go for either work towards getting along with people or take all of them out and you have to ask which side of the history do you want to be on right do you want to go kill every single person in there to prevent any possible terrorists from ever coming out again because that's your only option if you're going to use bombs and that's not going to work because then you're just going to breed hate in other parts of the world exactly. that they're like oh i can't believe they just killed everybody, everybody yeah. in that one place and so now i hate them even more exactly. than i did before you know <laughs> yeah it's it's, so it's, it's a, a not ending it's an it's a never-ending cycle violence is never violence though i agree is necessary at yep. times yeah absolutely it's never a good idea you don't use violence as a uh way out exactly it, it will never be a way out it is a it's a, it's a tool of last resort and you gotta even while you're using violence if you have the power if you are the unbalanced authority in the region you have to constantly be willing to stop the violence and give people a way out 
That is a winning strategy when it comes to this type of stuff. Yes, sometimes these people don't get it until you really put the screws to them. But you got to be willing to take those screws off at any point and say, all right, just join us. And if you do that, and if you're honest about that, then you will win every one of those hearts over. And the more hearts and minds you win, the bigger your coalition, the quicker you stamp out extremism. Because, if I mean, this Moab, when they dropped it, the the general there Nicholson was like it's a tactical it was a good choice for the operation it you destroyed the tunnels blah 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 and that's all true that's absolutely true it did a fantastic job destroying those tunnels right but what is the strategy and this is i was listening to a general a retired army colonel not general a retired army colonel that was asking um what is the strategy and he was saying the same thing, like this, it might have been a good tactical decision. It did that job. It solved that problem. It accomplished that mission. But in the greater context of things, what is what is the effect? What is the trickle-down effect, the four-dimensional chess game, mm-hmm. right? Is it going to demoralize people? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to demoralize anyone. I think it's going to embolden people. And if you make people really feel hopeless, they're just going to fight even harder and think, well, I'm committed now. Because- yeah, ex- exactly. That's what it seems like. And, yeah. and specifically, the and reason you know, that I they- will emphasize it. Who does it demoralize? It demoralizes the United States military. It demoralizes the people in the military when they think that they're doing something wrong. If they look at that and they think, great, then, then good, then they're fine. But if someone looks at that bomb and goes, mm, is that going to help us? Then you got a problem. So you got to really make sure you're you're making decisions that everybody believes in, that everybody has a stake in, that seems like it's getting you somewhere. Because you know, I've I've talked to vets that came out from Afghanistan or Iraq, and you got the mix. Like I did a great thing, or well, <laughs> we didn't really accomplish anything. I felt like we were. Yeah, just... I've talked to a wide mix as well. Yeah, and, and I've, so, I've gotten that. So you got to make sure that people feel like they're accomplishing something. I mean, you're asking a lot of a soldier when you're sending them to Afghanistan. Oh, absolutely. They're giving up their life to go there, you know? They're they're not going into finance somewhere to make a huge ton of money. They're not going into home construction to make a huge ton of money, right? They're giving up their life to make a crap salary to, you know, do the political will of the United States, right? Which is an, an important mission, an amazing mission, but... If the leaders aren't being responsible with for, with that resource, you know, if they're taking advantage of these people, uh, you know, I have a huge problem with that. I want the military to be used to do good in the world, right? And, yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes that means going into to a, a hot spot and neutralizing it. But I feel like in Afghanistan, Iraq, we didn't neutralize a hot spot. We created hot spots. Oh, absolutely. And now we're just... And it just seems like soldiers' lives have been spent frivolously. Yeah, right. And that's, re- that's and I, just really sad to me. You hate having to say that, right? You hate having to think that or, or feel that way. And if you're a soldier that came back and you lost friends in Iraq and someone tells you it was a waste, I mean, how do you deal with that? That's... You can't say that you know and so i mean i look at vietnam and people can look at iraq and and draw parallels to vietnam and vietnam we were there for a long time right it was a long war but look at vietnam now it's a democratic country that's pretty cool yeah you know and it was 1989 
1990, something like that, when that new government got in and it was finally a peaceful country, when they were not fighting uh, Cambodia or whatever. They were just, it just is fine now. And that's yeah. that's 20 years, less than 20 years. And so the way I look at Iraq is it's going to be Vietnam someday, right? It's going to be a really nice place. And so, yeah, we got involved and we kind of screwed things up a little bit, <laughs> a lot of bit. But I do think in the long run, if we're smart and if we keep on it, then it will get better and it will become an ally and it will become, you know, a uh, a shining example of what the Middle East can be. Yeah. But that's if we stop bombing people, you know, because that means we just start a fire. Well, yeah, you, you got to, in a way, you really got to stop doing things that are just going to keep, exacerbate the problem. Right. Yeah, you can't and, keep creating enemy combatants. Yes. And this is the real issue, because if you are a soldier, if you are a soldier on the ground and one of these guys kills one of your buddies, it's going to be really hard for you to stand down. Right, it's going to be really hard for you not to want to just go break that door down, mess up that family, take it out on them. Right, but you got to understand that, you know, and this is the problem: the military is not a nation-building force. The military is a hammer to go in and just do what's necessary. And when you use them as a police force or as a as a nation-building force or a security force. That's not what they're trained for. That's not what they're designed for. That's not the type of people that are in the military. So you you can't use them that way. And so right now we have in Iraq and Afghanistan, we've got our special operators. We've got our um, what we call advisors right in there. Mm-hmm. And we've got the Afghanistan military or the Iraqi army. But the army is not how you solve this problem. You can't go in with with an army to create a nation. That's just not how it works. So you need a a peaceful force to go in to do this and something with credibility something without a gun you know yeah and, and uh, it, it seems like education is a really big issue over well, there as well you know you we've spent trillions of dollars in there but what did we spend it on if we spend it on personnel troops if we spend it on bombs if we spend it on that kind of stuff there's no return on investment yeah you destroy something with a bomb then you got to spend more money to decontaminate the uranium from that blast to rebuild whatever was there. I mean, that doubles the expense. Every time you use a bomb, you're going to have to spend more to put back what you took out. So you better yeah, be if, real careful for what you're bombing exactly. because you're going to have to build it back. Otherwise, who cares? Just level the place and get out of there, right? But if we care about the population, then we got to be really thoughtful about what we're striking because you forever contaminate that area with uranium dust, lead, whatever's in there. And, you know, you can't just put a school back where there was a bomb. You got to do a lot of work to, I mean, it takes a ton of energy to build something, a ton of time, a ton of cost. You can drop a $16 million bomb and take out, you know, a whole generation of stuff that even longer, hundreds of years of, of buildings and cities you can just wipe out with a blast and it takes another generation to rebuild it so when you're in iraq you know i saw this really wonderful picture it was um a a bag that said the people of the united states give you this 
this is yours and it's food and it's a bag of food and it's got the United States of America right on it. And I'm like, is that better than a bomb? You know, like if you dropped a bomb on a target and these locals go and they see this crater, are they going to go, wow, America's so powerful. Wow. How great are they? No, they're going to go like, holy cow, these guys are nuts. Yeah. And <laughs> these guys and can it, drop bombs from the sky that yeah. we can't even see. And they'll just cement their knowledge that, okay, the United States is something to be hated and yes, feared. Exactly. But if you follow that up, or if you wait for the locals to say, take that out, and then you take it out, then, okay, now they see, okay, the U.S. is on our side. They've got some crazy magic missile power, but... You know, we wanted them to take those guys out because we, you know, like in Mosul right now, the locals love the Iraqi army. They love the U.S. troops because they're going in and taking ISIS out of them. There's yeah, people I mean, that, those people over there, for the most part, do not like ISIS. Yeah, they hate ISIS. And so, I mean, really, on the one hand, you know, us dropping that giant bomb and taking out, you know, tunnels that ISIS was using to right. operate and stuff. That's ultimately a good thing Absolutely. that you did a blow against Absolutely. ISIS. but. It's it's just look such a slippery effects. slope. Yeah, and right, exactly right. the trickle down effect right. of that action and right. everything. And and you know, and by no means do I, am I qualified right. to give opinions on these things. But yeah, you know, we live in a, in a world where everybody, whether they're informed or not, is going to be giving their opinion. Yeah, yeah. And in the way that social media works, those opinions start bouncing around, right. and and whether it is just or not, it's going to affect other people's opinions around them. Yeah, and it just turns into this big shitstorm mm-hmm. of, you know, potential misinformation right. and being mixed with, with emotion. And it's, the whole thing is a very slippery slope. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that's the marketplace of ideas and you want yeah. ideas to be exchanged. You want the, the, the best ones to float to the top and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, so, yeah, I, I, and some people take things personally, you know, and I'm not one that does that. I am very interested in the ideas and I'm willing to be challenged on whatever I think. And I expect people to do that. And I'm, but at the same time, you better be ready to be challenged by me. And if you, if I can challenge your idea and you can defend it, then I'm probably going to adopt it. Right. But if I challenge you and you don't have a good answer and you just fight, I'm going to think, well, that guy probably doesn't know what he's talking about and yeah. is just defending it because <laughs> he's mad now. And, well, and I, I saw a perfect example of that on one of your Facebook comments the other day Yeah, where uh, you had a very long, well thought out, well researched post like you usually do. And this guy took issue with your post and basically said something to the effect of these are getting really old james um you know why do you keep doing these and reading them i can't even tell what side you're on and your response was excellent it was well then i've succeeded because i am trying to give you unbiased information right and i'm not trying to tell you what side i'm coming from i'm just trying to give you information yeah and you get and, to determine what you how you ex- interpret exactly it, right? and that guy was so upset with that answer <laughs> he's like he's like so you're just mad that clinton lost and like you seemingly just ignored that yeah <laughs> and I, it was great and then the guy was eventually was like i'm done with you yeah, and right. just i get like in my mind i'm like okay you just angrily stalked away when when you, it seemed like he was trying to break it down to my team's gonna win the super bowl 
and and you're like, no, we're not talking about a game here. We're talking right. about actual. This is the real reason that things are or not necessarily the real reason, but these are the facts yeah, right. of the situation. Yeah, you get to determine and, yeah, if you're you, okay with it or if you want to change it or whatever. Exactly. Do Do you seem to run into a lot of that? On well, social media, especially when you're, you know, you're bringing up these subjects that people get so emotional over. Right. Well, the problem, I mean, it's not necessarily a problem, but anytime someone hears something, they're putting it through their brain, right? And their brain is trying to process what you just read or what they just told you or whatever. And you got to, you're trying to interpret it and you will interpret it in a, in a way that you have already sort of determined what you're reading. It's going to go through their own personal filter. Yeah, and that filter is going to color my, like, let's say I say something, someone interprets it, and that's going to color how they view my intention of what I said something. Okay, yeah, exactly. So he's, what is your intent? He couldn't figure it out because usually you can tell what someone's intention is by reading it Um, and, you know, my goal is the intent is to not have an intention, right? Is to 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 just kind of talk about things the way they are, and that helps people solve problems. So someone is going to get upset if you say something that they think your intent is to upset them, right? So why are you saying this? Are you saying this to make me mad because I voted for trump or i voted for clinton and you're trying to make me feel bad by hammering on trump or hammering on clinton or whatever if you if you go into it thinking that someone's trying to hurt you and and you're viewing it that way then you're going to be defensive right Mm -hmm. but you know i'm my posts and on the social media my intent is not to hurt someone and if it does hurt you that's an issue that you got to work through because if people are saying things to you that hurt you and they're not intending to, then, then I don't know, then that's not good. That's not healthy, right? You need to be able to take in new information that might challenge how you think about something and you got to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to have your worldview grown or expanded or whatever. Um, and you know, that's something I seek out regularly. Like tell me something I don't know, please, you know, like help me solve a problem. Like I don't want to be in this, in this circle of ups, you know, it's like the cynicism. If you look at Trump or you look at Obama and Obama didn't get Gitmo closed. If you look at that and say, ah, and then you're cynical about it because it didn't happen. But if you know why it didn't happen, if you know what was going on, you can't be cynical because it's just how it works. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the process and the mechanism and you just got to go, okay, that's, you know, but if you, and then if you realize what the problem was and who it was, well, maybe you can change that or make it easier to, you know, it's most people didn't care about Gitmo. That's why it didn't get closed. I mean, Obama cared, but nobody else did, right? It yeah. wasn't something that people around the dinner table were like, you know, <laughs> Obama still hasn't gotten Gitmo closed. We got to really help him out on that. That's... And wasn't one of the issues also is that a lot of the countries that these people were taken from didn't don't want, want them back. Them back. Yeah. They're saying, no, you can't bring them back here. And so they started shopping around and trying to find... And Illinois didn't want them. Nobody wanted to take them. them And and then everybody was like, fuck that, you're not bringing them onto American soil. Exactly. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we can't even roll them into our... And you don't want to release them back into the the wild. And Yeah, that that whole situation was crazy. But 
Um, but it does come to a really important point about the United States and its constitution and where it applies and what do we believe in terms of human rights and and what are our actions and this is this is this is a very academic abstract thing which is right up Barack Obama's wheelhouse right as a as a constitutional law professor someone that thinks abstractly about ideas and you know, you, you'll say to someone, well, that guy was an enemy, enemy combatant that we arrested in Afghanistan plotting to kill whatever. And people, well, I just throw him away, put him in a whatever. Who cares about that guy? Screw him. But then the other option is like, he's a human and we have to apply the same standards that we apply to him that we apply to anyone. Yeah, exactly. And And that means putting him in the court system. That means not just hanging him because we want to. It means what were the circumstances of his, you know, actions? Did he was he forced to do it? Was he was his family held hostage? Was did he even do it? Maybe we were mistaken and we picked the wrong guy. Like you can't just mm-hmm. execute people if you believe in not doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the United States is supposed to be a criminal justice system. People get away with stuff because we don't have good evidence or because we can't prove, you know. So And you want that. You want mm-hmm. people, if there isn't strong evidence of something, you don't necessarily want to be throwing people in prison or whatever. So, but that's, an, you know, a lot of people will say, he's a terrorist, who cares? You know, throw him in Gitmo. And yeah, that's not the right way to look at it either. But and it also seems like these people in charge are now afraid of what they've created. Because yeah. even if they were, you know, in like, absolute worst case scenario even if it was somebody that was just picked up that was just in the wrong place at the wrong time right you pluck somebody out of their life and you right. put them in prison right with without the benefit of a trial or anything right. like that and and i don't know how people are being treated there right nobody but does. but y- you gotta think that like there's um if you ever read the book dune yeah of course okay there's Maybe this great yeah there's this great quote in it where he's saying talking about how a tyrant lives in fear of its people because when an oppressed people has its day, it is horrific for the oppressors. Yeah, of course. Because they're going to take what they learned at the way that they were treated for so long, and they're going to turn that back on the people that were treating them that yep. way. And so how much of that goes into Gitmo, that people right. are afraid of what they have created there? Right. Well, you bring up an excellent point, and there's... Uh, something I keep in mind, fascism breeds resistance. Exactly. And that's, you know, and you think about it as a parent, if you're, you know, how you treat your kids, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat, you know, if you're a boss, if you're anyone in power, the way I look at it, if you have authority, if you have power, that doesn't mean you get to do what you want. That doesn't mean you get to abuse your authority. Being in power is a responsibility to help people not in power. That's how I've always viewed... That's the way I look at it as I've well. I've always viewed authority as that. Like, you are not there to to just, you know, bark out whatever you want. You got to have a good reason for what you're doing. And you're a leader. And that's how I view... When you're in an authority position, you are a leader. And you need to lead people, not force people. Oh, yeah. I, if, I saw this great graphic where it was a bunch of like silhouettes of people pulling a block, you know, kind of like old yeah, like yeah, Egyptian yeah. building the pyramid style. And then there was yeah. a guy on a desk at the top, kind of like raising his hand forward, like he's shouting at everybody. And that said, 
boss. Yeah. And then on the bottom, it had leader. And instead of this guy being sitting on top of the block, he was in front of everybody and he had a rope as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, and there is a big difference between somebody who's just going to go out and boss everybody around and somebody who's going to lead. And in my personal experience, a good leader is somebody that leads by example and is at the forefront and and showing everybody that, you know, this is the way we're doing it because we're going to lead. Right. There's nothing I hate more than a boss who just stands around and watches people work and barks orders. It's like, dude, you're not doing any good. Right. Like that, that is the the worst thing Yeah, right. Well, and that's, you know, and that's the the thing about uh, you want people leading that are the best or qualified or know what they're doing or etc that are interested in the job that are helping people that are contributing in their own way um when you get someone into a position for any reason other than merit that's when it opens it up to you know the people are probably not going to like that guy and that's why well, you exactly know, yeah. you know when you have a uh, um what's it called when um you're you hire your kids to nepotism nepotism so when you have nepotism in a factory or in a workplace there's automatically some resentment right because the mm-hmm. question is well why what did they do and so there are examples of where nepotism has been successful because whoever got pulled in did a good job and people go well that guy earned it because he worked his butt off since he was a kid and he deserves it because yeah. he's been in this, this company as long as... Oh, I've always liked you know. the idea of the boss's kids starting yeah. at the bottom. Right, right, right. You know, okay, we're going to start him in the mailroom. Yeah, he's right. going to get good at that. Right. And then if he is good at it, yep. then he'll get a leg if up. If he proves and himself, he, right. Exactly. Right. you got to keep proving yourself. And, right. and ideally, if you're sitting at the supper table with the CEO... And it's not rubbing off on you how to do it or how the job is done from the top. Right. Then, you know, how are you ever going to learn that? But if you just keep promoting somebody just because of who their last name is right. or, you know, what the blood is in their veins, it, it's probably going to go downhill right. because you need to have people that are qualified to do jobs. Right. And right. I'm a I'm a huge believer in that. And it does bother me when I see people like, like um, uh, someone was just telling me the other day that... They got a, they got a job working somewhere and they're in, you know, quote unquote, a management position, but they don't have any control over the people that are getting put on their staff. And so they're getting like, oh, this is the owner's friend's son and he's working for me and he does a shit job, Yeah, but I can't even discipline the guy because then he's going to go complain to his dad who's going to complain to his buddy who's my boss. Right. It's like, no, you're not going to get anything done that way. There there has to be a hierarchy, but at the same time, the hierarchy has to make sense. Yeah, exactly. You got to have people in there that deserve it and want it, not someone that just wants to get paid, um, you know, to to do the job and get a cushy, easy life when everyone else is kind of working hard. And it's kind of weird because we hate when people succeed in a way, you know, we, we really hate people that, that get paid for, uh, uh, you know, doing stuff. So it's really something to keep in mind that, uh, people need to, um, you know, people need to respect success you know, people need to respect people that um, make it, but at the same time, people that make it need to just, you know, just show that they're, they deserve it, you know, and it's easy because you look at someone like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates and everybody goes, yeah, those guys deserved it. But, you know, there's some other people that, that people go, oh, he didn't deserve it, he didn't earn oh, it or well, whatever. Uh, 
I don't remember the guy's last name, but it was remarkably similar to the word skank. <laughs> and he was that guy that 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 rich prick that that raised the price of the EpiPen. Oh, Scalic or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it the? Are you talking about the EpiPen or the uh, the the other drug? Okay, I might be confusing it. Yeah, wasn't Martin, it like a Martin Screlly or whatever? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. I I I don't know. I just every time I saw his picture, I just wanted to duct tape him to a chair and whip him with a car antenna. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, it's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm confusing the EpiPen. It was like, was it an AIDS drug? Yeah, yeah, okay, something, like, yeah something like that. Yeah. But anyway, so that's an interesting story too, because he uh he did that on purpose to force other people to buy the better drug. So there were two drugs and one was more effective than the other one. And so he raised the price of his so that the other drug would get legs. Because that doesn't make any sense at all. Well it's even the, from a business standpoint, why would you well, he wasn't. He didn't make money off it. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Well, okay. Well, he did a shit job. Yes, of course. Showing what his intention was, yeah, of because you know, of nobody, course, everybody thought, oh, he just raised it to five hundred dollars a pill. Yeah, because you know, I just see things that are shared on Facebook, and there's right. certain things that, you know, no matter what, I'm gonna glance at a headline. Yeah, right. Going through, but if it's not something I personally care about, or especially if it's something that, okay, I don't feel like getting all fired up right, right now about one of the multiple injustices mm, in right, the world, right. I'm not going to dig into it because there's just certain things that I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do that. Right. But, you know, you can't help but be influenced by things. Well, and, and so the I, thing too I try not the, to the dig media, too deep into it. Right. And the mainstream media did the same thing. They just sort of cursory glanced at it and reported on whatever. And then he did a terrible job in interviews. And he made fun of people and was a jerk in interviews. Well, yeah, he just kept so, looking like he was this just spoiled yeah, right. party boy dude that just happened to get handed all this resources and money and right, stuff. And he's right. just using it to, nah, I'm just going to... Right. Because, you know, I mean, personally, I didn't do that much research on it. But right. just the cursory, cursory glances that I put towards it, that's what it was presented as. Right. And... And that goes into how big of a problem right now in America is the way that media is doing things because everyone is so obsessed with well, getting a click. And this is the issue with the media is that um, just people in the media, because the media is not a thing. It's got a bunch of people and most of them are pretty average and they don't know a lot of things and they want to do a job and they get paid to do it, but they're also interested in going home and watching Netflix or going to the bar or going out to eat with their friends. So they're not doing their homework. They're not working hard. And there's very few people that work really, really, really hard, you know? And so, you know, I think about like, I don't even know if there's a journalist that I respect that much because when I uh, watch, you know, Anderson Cooper on the off chance or a Rachel Maddow or a Bill O'Reilly, these guys, they don't contextualize things. And that's the problem I have with organizations like that. They don't It's explain. like, okay, you're clearly already starting on this side of the seesaw. Right. And you are nowhere near the fulcrum that you are supposed to be. You're, you're just a passenger. Yeah. Well, it's not even about having a bias. It's just they don't explain things. They don't report the truth of a matter because they haven't figured it out. And, you know, and part of oh, the... okay. And, so you think it's coming from a misinformation point of view? But they just haven't not, spent and, a lot of time thinking about see, it. See, I always assumed it was coming from a side of, okay, we have a base that we're 
you know, because if you're if you're news, whether you want to admit it or not, you're still selling a product. Yeah, of course. And that product is information. Well, and that's why they're successful. Fox News, Bill O'Reilly, um, what's their name, Rachel Maddow. Yeah, because they're playing to their team. Yeah, they're they playing, know is going to keep a clicking game. on their. They're playing their, a game. Yep. You know their articles or whatever. Right. Yeah, they're playing a game for sure. And uh, but you know, it's the who, what, where, when, why, the journalism, the integrity. You got to go to National Geographic and read an article there and it's just very you know just tell me the facts just report it don't sensationalize it don't make me hate someone don't create a exactly. villain yeah, I and don't a hero like, I, do I don't not need like a villain and a like hero that. you know and that's what happens you got the united and it turns into a, a villain and a hero situation you know and it's just you got someone thinking United is the villain and the guy's the hero. And then you got someone saying United is the hero and the guy just should have just done what he was told, you know? And so it's like, just let's lay it out there. Let's give yeah. me the PBS news hour, you know, the straight dope um, on what's going on. Contextualize it for me. Make it make sense to me. Don't make me try and hate someone. And that's actually, you know what? Um, someone that's really good is John Dickerson. I've found um cbs face the nation sundays he does a good job breaking things down and his panel is very good he's got a a group of journalists that lay it out you know but it's an hour and it's not even an hour the panel discussions are like 10 15 minutes so it's a, a little bright spot on the journalism on the national political thing Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, I mean, when you think about the news media, there's the national media, there's the local media, there's the sort of in-between media, you got these other groups that are sort of just wherever, world, global media, and you got thousands and thousands and thousands of people working in these things, writing stuff and editors and blah, 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 and you just, you hope, you know, you find the right ones and they get to the top on merit and they, you know, do a good job and but you got to keep you got to read a bunch of different perspectives to find the truth of the matter, you know? So you got to yeah, go Exactly. And, and it's not even that someone's trying to bias you. It's that there's certain hours in the day and someone has a deadline and they don't have time to really figure it out, but they got to report something. And so they report that the biggest bomb since World War II has been dropped in Afghanistan and then they stop there. Because they don't know what else to say because they haven't figured it out yet. And so they cannot, you know, and that's terrible because this Nicholson guy, the general, uh, was he a general or commander? He dropped the bomb and made a good decision for the job at hand. He didn't think that the news would be the biggest bomb since World War II has been dropped. He didn't think that headline was... Yeah. gonna pop out and that was gonna be the thing and nobody would contextualize it you know and that you know and that's the danger is that dropping that bomb had a political result and the media you know takes the headline the mother of all bombs like it's a it's a big bomb but it's you know we drop a bomb every hour somewhere around the world and you know like if we somehow you know like you know if you have a problem with bombs, this bomb's no different than other bombs. But mm-hmm. so, you know, contextualize it for us, please. Don't sensationalize it. Don't call it the mother of all bombs. That was a nickname because it was, you know, apparently it was developed during the Iraq war. And uh, it, it was a joke because Baghdad Bob was saying something about the mother of all invasions or that's what 
That's what Iraq was going to be, the mother of all invasions or, you know, w- not us, but them. They were going to do all this damage to us or something. Oh, yeah, you know? the, their, their kooky yeah, right. uh, uh, news correspondent yeah. that was spreading They're, Saddam's propaganda. Yeah, exactly. He well, was, just, yeah, he was like, the Americans aren't even asses. here, and there's a tank behind him <laughs> rolling into Baghdad. So they were basically the Iraqi equivalent of the Spencer guy. Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know... <laughs> Sean Spicer is like uh, yeah whatever his name yeah, is the, yeah, the yeah. guy that stands up there and just tells boldface freaking lies yeah right yeah Sean Spicer is Baghdad Bob in many ways the poor guy <sighs> that is just that poor guy <laughs> he's just he, he's the problem with Sean Spicer is he's at the top of his career right now that is the position when you're in his field he is number one right now and he doesn't want to lose that but He's how, not how do you go home and look at yourself in the mirror every well, day and not, say, I just told boldface lies that people in the press seats in front of me called out with correct information. And I just had to keep doing the line from Wizard of Oz saying, yeah. oh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, I no, am the great powerful Oz. Like, right. No, dude, you, 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 there's, you're being refuted in yeah, front of no. you. Like, and oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to watch. And, it's and hard that's to watch. One of the reasons that it's easy for me to avoid it. Right. And it it is something that I struggle with. Is is this something I should avoid? Is yeah, something... right. No, no, right. Because you don't want to check out completely in case something bad happens and you feel responsible because you weren't paying attention. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the danger. You need a healthy, and that's you know that's why you need the context. And you look at Sean Spicer, who was the Easter egg bunny at the you know, and people make fun of him for that. But that just shows you that that's he's just a guy. And right now, he's got one of the hardest jobs on the planet, and he's not quite ready for it. You know, he's just not quite ready for that job. Um, and well, it, when you're asked to stand up in front of people and tell lies just because... I don't think, but he's, I don't think he's asked to tell lies. I think he's trying to spin it so that he doesn't look like a complete idiot, but he's not good at that. Well, I, in, when you have that job, aren't you basically, you're the mouth... You're the. You're supposed to represent the, the administration. Exactly, right? and yeah. the, when the administration's the doing a you're bunch of stuff to speak that for the whole country is really what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, and when the administration's doing weird things like like with just the odd stuff that Trump has said. About, yeah, no, you can't defend a lot of the stuff that. And happened. he's being asked to do that. Right. And it's like it's got to be very difficult. Like I totally agree with you. He has yeah. a very difficult job. Right. Right. And it's not something I would want to do because I don't like standing up and, and having to tell lies. About yeah. Things. And, well, and, and I don't know. I'm going to keep calling it lies. Yeah, because sure. It's like if 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 you get up and say one thing and then somebody is in the crowd is able to stand up with their smartphone. say, so, you know, actually, I've got it from several credible sources that this is, you know, how many don't. people were there during inauguration or or, or yeah, this is uh, right. this was actually the the amount of electoral votes you had, and right. it really wasn't what you just said it was. Right. And it was pretty easy to find. Yeah, don't pee on me and say it's raining type of thing. E- exactly. Like, yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I find those things maddening. You know, I agree, and I think that Sean's learning that, and I think Trump is learning that as well. And then you you really can see that in the last week. There's been a big shift in how these guys operate. Do you think we're going to see a continued evolution in the Trump administration? Oh, Do you think he's going to adapt absolutely. to how it can be done? Absolutely. And- yeah. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's going to make people cynical of the process, but I think it's good. I think it's healthy. And I think people that thought Trump was going to be able to go in there and 
do some of the crazy stuff he was saying. Frankly, that I don't understand how the country works. Like the wall? Do you think the wall is going to get built? Of course not. The wall. Yeah, of course the wall is not going to be built. It's impossible. It's just physically not possible. And it makes no sense. And like, that'd probably go back to one of those things that you said could actually be challenged by law and it's going to just get held up in the courts well, for you're a long gonna, time? Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to build a 30-foot wall across 2,000 miles of border That's with an, it's rivers an and idea. mountains. And the thing is, is people own that land. Yeah. And, and you can't... And there's towns on the border that have, you know buildings and roads on both sides and yeah, people and, just... and also like we were saying that the more rural you get the more you run into the people that are saying don't tell me what to do and if well, you got the you... government coming in saying we're gonna build this giant ass wall through your land yeah whether you want it or not that's gonna piss them off oh yeah people are well, gonna fight it there was a group that did fight it because george bush in 2004 or 2003 or whatever it was they ended up building that a pretty big wall in some of the spots like really high fencing in a lot of areas around texas and arizona and stuff like that and there was a family that had a farm there and the way the river ran they had to put the wall right through the middle of their property so they have land on one side of the wall and land on the other side of the wall and they got to go through this fence every time they want to mow their lawn or whatever or work on their farm oh that's ridiculous and they have uh, farm animals their barn was on the mexico side of the fence and it caught fire and they lost all of their animals because the fire department couldn't figure out how to get onto the other side of the fence. So their their barn burned down and the fire truck was driving back and forth along the border trying to find a way to get Unreal. to the other side. And this is like an example of why that's a stupid thing because, you know, there's nothing wrong with Mexicans. You know, there's well, nothing that, wrong with Mexican and, people, even if they're trying to sneak across the border. Well, that and also... They're not coming here and taking jobs in freaking well, they're not like neuroscience and shit like that. They're coming and honestly taking jobs that a lot of people generally don't want to well, do. Forget about the jobs thing. They're just people. Well, you know? yeah. And they're just in, in, and they come over and it's you know when a person comes in they actually create jobs. That's just how it works because they need to eat. They need to use water. They need to use resources someone's going to pay for that. And and people will argue, well, the government's, you know, my paycheck is paying for these immigrants to, it's really not how it works because they, if they're illegal immigrants or they're undocumented citizens or whatever, they can't really get government benefits like, um, you know, other people can. So they're not going to be able to take exactly take like money. taxes are being taken away from them and they're not getting any income taxes yeah. back and so, anything like that. And even if some are getting paid under the table, right. it's like that's well, and so that's outside the bounds of what, what we're talking about anyway. Right. And that's why it becomes an issue because people have very good imaginations about how this stuff works and they imagine, you know, cocaine mules coming across with guns and gold teeth and going around shooting people and raping people and you know that's the caricature in their mind of what an an immigrant from mexico is like and it's just not you know the the reason is is because the united states is an attractive place to be to live Uh, it's getting less attractive um but you can see that in the drop of apprehension border apprehensions um in the last six years even it's dropped precipitously and the reason is because mexico's actually becoming a nice place to live and you don't need to go to the united states anymore because they're developing enough where people have opportunities at home they don't need to go to the united states 
Um, it's getting better. Obviously, there's still it's still a developing country. But anyway, the point is that nobody advocates for open borders. Nobody. I mean, maybe some people do, but I think practically speaking, people want to be tracked. We want people coming into the country to be tracked. We want people to come in. And I'd agree with that too. Yeah, yeah. We want if you're going to come here and live here. I mean, if 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 you go to Switzerland. You know, as a United States citizen, you can just buy a plane ticket, fly to Switzerland, show them your passport, and they'll let you in. But you got to leave in six months. You cannot stay there more than six months. You have to go. Otherwise, you become an undocumented right citizen, an illegal alien mm-hmm. sitting in, you know. Um, the. You also, if you go there, you cannot work. You cannot go there for six months and get a job and then leave. That's illegal because you're not going to pay taxes. You're not going to be in the system. You're not going to be, you know, as a tourist, you can go hang out, but you got to go back to America and you got to just go there and spend your money <laughs> and come yeah, back. That's what they want. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what they want. That's what everybody wants. And so in the United States, we've got a similar problem. You know, we want people to come visit us, but we want them to turn around and go home. If they're going to come here and if they're going to work, then they're going to need a visa or they're going to need to get in that line and work towards becoming a citizen so that they can whatever. And we have a problem because our immigration system is a real kind of a pain. And so if you, if you, you know, we need Mexicans to do those jobs. It used to be they could just drive over the border, work on the farms and drive home and go back to go back to their towns. But we've made it so hard that they sneak in now to stay so they can work and then sneak money back to the to the whatever. But if we didn't have a wall at all, they could just hop across the border, work in the farm, and drive back at night. Yeah. And so we're and right. They could be documented as a worker in America. They even, they're working in America. Yes, they're taking some of their wages back to Mexico and home with That's them. That's fine. But there's still portions getting paid. You know, taken out of their check in taxes and everything, just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And the farmers are making money selling cheap food to Americans and Americans buy cheap food and it's great for everybody. So to my mind, I'd say tear down the wall that's there. Take down whatever fence you got. We don't need it. If you got someone that's breaking the law, you know, we'll get them. That's just how it is. But let's make it easy for people to obey the law. Let's make it easy for people to follow the law. Let's make it easy for Mexicans if they want to hop over to work on American farms. Let's make it easy. That's fine. You know, these guys, I think it was Alabama or Georgia. I think it was Alabama. Could have been Georgia. I don't want to slander either one of them. But one of them, like, passed real strict regulations about immigrants working on farms. And uh, just, just put the hammer down. And the farms have lost huge amounts of money. And the, the people don't have produce. Produce yeah. rotted on the vine because no one was picking it. So there's nobody that's going to fill in these jobs. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, if you've never worked on a farm, yeah. it is hard work. Oh, it's super hard. When, it's, when but I, it's pointless work, too. You walk yeah. around picking stuff. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I helped out on a handful of different farms. Yeah. And it's really hard work. Right. And, I, and I can understand why you know, some Americans would look at it as that's the last thing I want to do. Right. But then other people who are just looking for an opportunity would say, oh, I'll come in and do that. Well, the problem is, is that an American that wants to do that job you're not going to get paid enough to do it. Well, exactly. You're not going to make enough to make it worth it. You just can't do it. Like, it's not an option. Like, why would I work eight hours a day for five bucks or whatever it is? That's probably more than that, but maybe it's not. I don't know. But anyway, why would I work all these hours and I can't afford 
to pay taxes and live. Yeah. You know, it's not a job that someone can do. It's something a kid can do because they don't have bills. Yeah, which is why I did it as a high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I did it long enough to save enough money to buy my first electric bass guitar. And yeah. I was like, I am done shoveling pig shit. Yeah, exactly. I got my guitar. I'm not working here anymore. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. And so, but, you know, that's the problem. And so how do we deal with the problem? Okay, well, if you hate Mexicans, that's a problem because now we can't use them. If you if you think Mexicans are less than humans or don't deserve to come to America or some if you have an attitude like that, yeah, like just these, xenophobia in general yeah, is you, not going if, to be a you healthy think, policy. Yeah, if they're born south of the border, that they have different values, that they have different, you know, if they think differently than us, if they don't deserve it, if they if you want to, if you have a bad attitude, then it's going to be a hard problem to solve because we're going to need people to pick that food. So if you look at them with a bad mindset then it's going to be hard to come to a solution. So if you recognize that Mexicans are just like Americans, that Americans rape people just like Mexicans rape people, you know, not to... Well, going back to what we said earlier, any group of people, you're going to have bad apples. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, I don't want to take a crap on the United States. I just want to put it in context to say, like, you know, we've got people too oh yeah we got plenty of pieces of shit that are already in yeah. america right 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 and, and yeah. you know and the argument was like well we don't want mexicans you know that we don't want their trash coming across the border too you know so and i understand that um but let's make it easy for the good ones to come along yeah and, exactly and, if you're uh, gonna come here and do, and, and you want to work right and especially if you want to come here and, and if work, you want to pick my fruit so my blueberries can be cheap hey exactly it, and, and that's the biggest thing to me is right. that when the people who complain that oh they're coming here and taking our jobs, it's like really? No, are you lining not. up to go pick fruit? Yeah. No. Are you lining up to go hang out outside Lowe's right. to to help some guy throw up drywall that right, needs right. it? It's like no, you're not doing that. Yeah. Right. No. And and that's what's going to happen is if we do make that hard, the farms are just going to leave. They're just going to go to South America, and we're just not going to have farms. Exactly. And so uh, if you want super cheap produce, if you want farmers in this country, if you want a food supply in this country, we got to work together with our partners and our neighbors. You yeah. Know, it's, it's not a tough problem to solve. And, you know, people will say open borders and worry about open borders. I'm like, go to Europe. Go to Europe right now where there's like a thousand countries in a tiny spot. Well, exactly. No, yeah. No borders around, no, no walls around all these countries. And somehow they figured out how to do it. Right. And, uh, you know, when I go to CERN in Switzerland, it's right on the border of France and Geneva. Right. Or France and Switzerland. And Switzerland is not an EU country. Right. And so all the other countries have EU, they have travel, uh, treaties and all this stuff. It's all understood how these people are free to move around the country. And, and it's not a big deal. Um, and then Switzerland's not part of the EU, so it's a little bit trickier, but still France and Switzerland figured out how to do it. So employees of CERN don't have to worry about, and even me as an American, I fly over there and I go across the border between France and Switzerland freely all the time. It's not, you don't have to show a passport to anybody. You just, you know, there are bastards in the world, but there's not that many. And so you don't need to police everyone to keep these small percentage of bad actors from exactly from, you just take care of those as they pop up yeah exactly and um so the way i look at the mexican american canadian thing is uh we don't need open borders in the terms of uh you know just nobody's tracking anybody but we do need open 
uh, travel so that people can come in and work and go back home if they want, that they live near the border. Yeah, let's I just, fully agree with let's that. Let's just make it easy. And, you know, but let's document these people. If they want to work, give them a card, you know, give them something that we can track them and say, okay, they're not a terrorist. They're actually coming here to work. But if you try to put a wall up, only the terrorists are going to get through. You know, yeah, because they're the ones who are really determined to get yeah, in and, and they're going to figure some havoc. out a way, right? And so, making it easy for normal people to get around actually makes it harder for terrorists to get around too, because you create the expectation that they need to have all this paperwork or you know follow these rules, and you know you can keep an eye on people when they're going through the main areas. And that doesn't mean don't have border security, but it just means. You be smart about it, you know? Let's be smart and let's benefit each other. It's called mutually beneficial uh, laws yeah. and treaties and frameworks and things like that. I mean, you don't have to be afraid of people from other countries. And uh, I think if, you know, if you've traveled around the world, you learn everyone's the same, pretty mm-hmm. much. And so, uh, um, you know, unless you go as part of a military force, then you might see everybody as enemies, but you know, <laughs> yeah, probably um, some it of it's color gonna, your, it will color your, yeah, it's going to depend on your world perspective yeah. and what your situation is at that right. time and all that. But. Right, right, right. But anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's my take. <laughs> you want to take a quick break here? Sure. All right, let's do it. All right, we are back. Um, so, you know, in the vein of talking about this, um, you know, the border problem and all that, um, h- how do you think that that gets solved? Yeah, so we have we have a, a border problem in the sense of we don't want Mexicans coming into America, uh, which is that. So, if we try to solve that problem, then then you need a tight, impenetrable defense. And if that's the the game you want to play, if that's the goal you're trying to reach to stop anyone from coming across the border, then you're going to need not just a wall, but, um, you know, something that goes underground to prevent tunnels and also something that um, stops boats from going around, you know, the wall because it's going to stop at the ocean. Well, why not just take a boat and canoe around the wall at that point, you know? So, uh, you Border security is a impossible ideal. You will never have 100% border security. Let's just, we have to be honest about that. It's just impossible. It's unsustainable financially. Um, I mean, you could if you put a, a person every 10 feet, right? And just, you know, or robots or something like that. But yeah, you can pay off people. You can buy your way in. You can fly over in the country and overstay your visa. You can, mm-hmm. you know, you can do all kinds of things. So you're never going to have 100% border security. So let's just take that off the table. Like that's just something that we cannot attain. So then how do we deal with the problem of people that were born in Mexico wanting to come work in America? Uh there, we can easily deal with the problem for people that live in the border towns. If someone lives just in Mexico and wants to work on an American farm, I see no problem. Get that guy a card, let him come in and work. There are some competing interests there. 
uh, farm people don't want to pay taxes on people that work, Mexicans that come over to work. So they don't kind they don't really want to make it a legal process because they know that that costs money. So they don't really want to do that. Um, and then, you know, people frame it as a problem like these Mexicans are evil and rapists and coming to steal your jobs. Who's motivating that argument? Who's putting that argument forward? It's people that are legitimate racists, <laughs> but it's also people that, you know, it's also people that, you know, work own farms and or own, you know, uh, nanny companies or own uh, uh, landscaping companies that they like having undocumented workers that they can pay under the table so that they don't have to pay as much money towards them and they just don't have to deal with the government, right? You mm -hmm. got a guy, you just pay him, it's easy. You just don't want to deal with uh, uh, hoops. So in my opinion, you got to make it easy for everybody. Otherwise, nobody's going to do it. So if, if companies are worried about the burden of the regulation that they're going to have to deal with, then that's a problem. You know, it used to be, yeah, Mexicans could just come over the border work and go home because you didn't have the farmers didn't have to deal with anything. Mexicans didn't have to deal with anything. It was easy for everyone. You just came across work and came back. So if there's a way for Congress to figure out, let's make it easy for people to come over so they don't need to jump through a bunch of hoops. And we've got the technology to do it. We've got computers and systems and designers that can make government systems easier, right, to use, to work with. There's no need to have some, I mean, I've used some government databases and government systems that, who designed this? Like, it's just, they're terrible. So, yeah, if you if you design a system like that, everybody's going to hate it. Nobody's going to want to do it. So, number one, border security, you need to have a... Uh, a way for people that live on either side of the border to make it easy for them to travel back and forth between the border. That's going to be good for those local economies. It's going to be good for the national economies, and it's going to be good for people in general. And we will not be harmed because of it. You will not. You, you can believe this, but it will not be shown to be true because we've lived this way for a thousand years between, you yeah, know, exactly between borders of countries where people go back and forth and it's not a big deal until someone does something bad and then you have a war. Okay, that's a problem. But the stronger you draw your border lines, the harder it is to get along with people and the harder it is for your economies to thrive. So you need to really, you got to have your borders. It makes sense. Just to, you know, the world recognizes where your uh, country begins and ends and where your laws begin and end. And just it's easier for everybody when your expectations are clear. That's the better this. way to look at it, too. It's the line where your country's laws begin and end. Yeah, that's and that all your expectations can be met at that, those areas. You don't you're not uncertain about things, you know. So um, and, you know, you got your legal team and your whatever and everybody, you know, it just makes sense to have countries where they these laws and and if you don't like those laws, move to another country or whatever you can, however you want to live. So uh, my general idea is that the United States Constitution, right, was written for all human beings, for everybody on the planet. And the reason it stops at the shores of America is because the rest of the world refuses to recognize it. <laughs> yeah, pretty you know, much. and and I would like that thing to apply to the whole world because it's really an amazing way to govern self-government. If you don't like what's happening, throw the guy out, put someone in that does what you want. Self-government, constantly 
responding to the needs of the people, not the needs of the powerful or the needs of, you know, certain other things. So I, I like that about our country. I think it's a great way to run things. And uh, that way, it's not the government really telling you what to do. It's everybody telling you what to do that you live with because everybody got together and picked someone and that guy's working yeah you know and so and if you don't like it you wait four years and you you know or you wait two years or you wait however many years depending on congress or or uh the senate or the executive or your local government you know you can always throw these people out if they're not doing what you want yeah so um uh, I don't. I don't look at what the government does as this. It, the United States government is different, right? It's not like other governments where they do dictate things, and it's up to. And they have no accountability. You know, we do have accountability, but anyway. So, border security. We need people to be able to come in from Mexico and then go back to Mexico easily. That's the problem to solve. How do we make that happen? We also want Americans to hop over to Mexico and sell their stuff and then come back to America. We want that to happen, to make Mm -hmm. it easy. And that gives opportunities for small businesses and workers and whoever to make some money and to be self-sustaining and that kind of thing. So if we can figure out a way, you know, frankly, to get over ourselves as I, you know, to be sort of mean about it, but, you know... Get over it. Like, let's work with Mexicans. Let's well, work is, with the Mexican people. That is a people. good way to put it, though, because you know? people do just need to get over it. They yeah. need to have an honest conversation with themselves and say, why do I support this? Right. You know, why do I support, you know, X? Right. Is it truly because, oh, I just don't like Mexicans? Right. And so it, I mean, it comes like, down to, it's not that you don't like Mexicans. It comes down to a fear. You are you are worried and you're concerned. A fear is a good way to put it. I right. was, was going to uh, draw a parallel to, to gay marriage. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I, it's afraid. I, you're afraid of I do of not understand why anybody has a problem with gay marriage. And when people say, well, what am I going to tell my children? It's like, well, you should be telling your children stuff every day. <laughs> you know, you should be teaching lessons and well this contradicts with my religion it's like well that's okay it's your religion mm-hmm. well you know? no no i mean yeah and i think yeah that's... i think what it comes down to is that sometimes people take these you know oppositional stances because they personally don't like it right and and maybe for whatever reason whether it's societal pressure or they don't even realize it themselves they just don't want to admit that that's what their reason is and i think sometimes people and I don't like the idea of anybody being called out, but I think sometimes it needs to be pointed out that, you know, hey, you you want this wall up and you want to kick Mexicans out because you hate Mexicans or you don't you want you don't want to see gay people get married because you personally don't like gay people. Mm-hmm. And I think that in those instances, your personal preferences of what you like and dislike, it should not have any. It, right. sh- it shouldn't have any role in the argument at all, because <laughs> right. it's like, you know, you're speaking from an emotional standpoint. Right. And and I think that the emotions need to go into it, but not as much as logic. Right. Or well, en- enough that they, they need to temper each other. Well, they need to work. Need, you need to have your emotional desires rooted in something real. Right. And so exactly. if you are afraid of Mexicans or what that might mean for you. That's legitimate. You know, if you're afraid of what it might mean for gay people to be married or for gay people to exist at all, if you're afraid of that, that's legitimate. But it's not legitimate to stay afraid when when confronted with evidence that shows you don't need to be afraid. And so, you know, if you if you are worried about um, Mexican rapists coming into the country or you see, um, I mean, there's stories of 
families where they lost someone in their family to a crime committed by an illegal immigrant, um, you cannot, you know, say that, of course, it was an illegal immigrant that, you know, harmed your family. And the, the question is, what can we do about that? And, and can we, can we really expect to protect everyone all the time? And our goal is to, right? Our goal is to create a society that's safe and free for everybody. And, uh, so, you know, you, you don't want to allow people just to come into the country to do harm. That's of course not right. And so if there is a situation where illegal immigrants that come in, commit crimes, of course, we got a problem. Let's deal with it. Let's do it. But when you look at the uh, the evidence and you see that illegal immigrants or people that don't have the correct paperwork, by the way, illegal immigration is not a crime. It's a violation of civil law, but it is not a crime. It does not end up in the criminal justice system. It's, a, it's an infarction or infraction or whatever you want to say. Um, that the government has uh, uh, the ability to determine what to do. There's nothing set in stone like they have to be deported. They have to be. There's no rule. If you are in the country and you overstay your visa, or you come in without a proper visa at all, or you, uh, you know, which I don't really quite understand how, you know. But anyway, someone that comes in. It's up to our government. They still have constitutional rights. When they're on American soil, they have the constitutional rights. It's for all humans, whether they're citizen or not. Mm-hmm. And that's what the founding fathers believed. They wanted this law to be applied to everyone. So if you get in, if you sneak in onto our land, you got rights. That's just how it is. So, um, you know, it's up to the to the country, to the government, to decide what to do with someone that they determine is undocumented. And my opinion, my attitude about it, and it really comes down to trying to solve the problem. You got to be honest. You can either keep fighting and keep going back and forth and keep, you know, and you'll never solve the problem. But if you want to try to solve the problem, if you want to get to a spot that you don't have to worry about this, right? You're going to have to create a way so that undocumented people can be documented. And that doesn't mean they have to be a citizen. That doesn't mean they have to uh, skip to the front of the line. That doesn't mean they have to take someone else's spot in the line. It just means they're a human being and they're here. And what are we going to do? You know? Yeah. What's the easiest way to keep track of who's coming and going? Yeah. Documentation. Yeah. Documentation. Let them pay taxes if they want to get a job. Uh, And this comes down to, it gets really complicated, right? Because then you get a situation where someone could just come into America now and expect that they don't have to go through any sort of immigration process, right? Yeah, and everybody should go through a process. Absolutely. And And their backgrounds should be vetted. Right. And and I firmly believe in all of that. Right, right, right. And so now we have a problem where you got, what, 10 to 20 million people that are undocumented, Living in the country, um, and which automatically tells you that there's no problem with these people, because if there were 20 million evil people in the country, we, oh, would, we would notice we would have a problem, right? So there's nothing wrong with these people. They're women, children, adults. They're just people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they don't have any interest in violence or desire to do anything. 
Yeah, they just want to live their lives. Yeah, like they just want to live else. their lives just like anybody else. And uh, and we want to get their tax dollars to help pay for stuff. Uh, ideally, you know? yes. You right? know? I we mean, there's them... nothing wrong with with a citizen that's doing their civic duty. Right. And we also want people to um, tell us when crimes happen. We want people to testify in court. But if we're going to go into these communities and, you know, terrorize these people with ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, then um, they're going to turn away from us and they're going to turn into their communities. They're going to hide. They're going to go away and they're not going to show up at court when someone commits a crime. They're not going to help us when we need them. They're not going to. Exactly. Because so, they've been taught to fear the system. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and this is true for this, is, you know, again, fascism breeds resistance. If you exactly. throw the hammer down, people are going to run and hide or they're going to fight back. So, you know, that's not what America is about, really. It's about the pursuit of happiness. And if someone wants to do that, let's help them. That's it. Period. If yeah. someone wants to do that, let them come here and let's do it. So, you know, what I would propose to people that are here right now, undocumented, is, you know, create a new card. It, used to, it was the green card, right? You got the green card. It used to be an actual green card. Um, so I say, let's create an orange card. You know, let's create some in-between status so that they're documented, but they got to pay taxes. Let's make them pay a, a regular fee. Every month or every year, a big number, maybe $1,000, right? Let's make them pay. If they want to be here, they have to prove it, right? Yeah. And I think they do. <laughs> I think they want to be here. I think they do want to prove it. So let's say, okay, we're going to give you an orange card. You got to go to the end of the line, so to speak. Um, but you're going to have to pay. So you have an option, right? You stay here. You become a legal citizen, not citizen, you become a legal, you know, person, you have legal status, we give you an orange card, but that means you got to pay a fee, you, we can make it monthly if you want, right, but it's going to be $1,000 a year, or $5,000 a year, or whatever it is, because what is a green card, you got to pay like 10 grand or something to get a green card to go through all that, Oh wow! so yeah, I mean, it's a lot, and then to become a citizen, another 10 grand, something like that, so you got to pay 20 some thousand dollars something to become a citizen of the United States. So I say, uh, do the same thing, except now it's, since you skipped the line, since you didn't do it right, it's not $20,000, it's going to be $30,000, or it's going to be $25,000, and you have an option. You get to choose. You can go back to Mexico and get to the end of the line and come in the right way, or you're going to pay twice as much to get through the system and not have to go back. And I think that would be a legitimate way to do it um, if people are willing you know, then they get to choose to go back to Mexico to save up or to go through the right way, or they're going to have to work pretty hard living here to pay back their debt for sneaking in and, and not doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. But that gives them an option. Now they have a choice. And I think some people will choose to go back to Mexico and come in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think some people will choose to, to pay if they're like a restaurant owner and they can afford to, then they're going to pay, you know? So, well, and then what happens to the ones who choose option C and say, oh, I'm just going to keep trying to live under the radar? Well, oh, then, then we have a legitimate reason to deport them, right? Then mm -hmm. we have... Saying, okay, well, we gave you the option. We give you, you two options or even more. I don't know. But yeah, if you're here and you refuse to then, then, you know, then we have the option of deporting, which even I, I just hate the idea of deporting someone because... 
what if they don't even know where they came from? What if they, you know, they don't know anyone there? What if, you know, it's just, it feels cruel to do it. So, yeah. so I would say, no, okay. If you find someone that's under the radar, suddenly they're not on the radar anymore. You just put them in that system and give them an orange card. <laughs> you yeah, know, kind of the true. You put them right on the spot and say, you know, hey, look, you now you owe us this money. And then, yeah, exactly. And if they don't pay it, you put them in jail. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you don't need to deport anyone. You just make them play the game, you know? Yeah. So you don't need to get them out because they're not evil people. Mm-hmm. But if they're not playing by the rules, then you just you you create rules that they can follow that are reasonable. A, go back to where you came from if you have family there and it might be a good option for you. And then come in the legal way. Or pay extra to get this orange card so that you can work, but you're going to pay taxes and you're going to pay a big fee on top of it to skip ahead since you, you know... But, you know, a lot of people don't even know they're undocumented. A lot of people don't even know whether they have legal status or not. It's such a crazy system. You know, you came here. Did I do it right? I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, or was I born here? Do I? Am I legal? I don't know. What about my parents? It's a big mess. So it's scary. And I don't believe in government being scary. I don't think the government should be scary. That's a really good point. You because know? government ideally is there to make the whole thing work. Make, yes. Make it so everybody... Right, you know, should be getting more or less a fair share it's of it. It's not there to punish people. And exactly, be and if right. you live in fear of something that's really meant to be something to help you, then right. you're not going to be able to take advantage right. of the the programs that are in place there to help you. Right, because exactly. you're thinking, Oh, no matter what, they're just going to do gonna, you know yeah, X, Y, or Z to me. My and family, every, right? Exactly, right. and every one of those options is horrible. So right. I'm going to do everything I can to hide from the government. Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't help anybody. No. And uh, so, yeah, my my attitude would be take deportation off the table, like completely if if someone is here and has, you know, you know, yeah, unless they're shown to have when they do the background vetting and stuff, you're like, oh, well, you know, you were, you know, just released from a prison or something like well, that. But and even then, then just let like, you off the bus at the border. And, and, you know, I don't know if that's something that happens, but that's something that gets bandied about. Well, here's here's my thing. Like, OK, if someone if someone comes in to the country and overstays their visa, and we catch them within a month or two, then send them back because they came from somewhere and they were yeah, just but if they've there. been here for 20 years. Yeah. Then, then is it good to send them back? Then right. you need to look at well, what have they been doing for 20 years? Right. Oh, well, they've held a job. Yeah. And right. They've been paying taxes that they they've never filed or... an income tax return on. Right. But it's and... also just, I think, uh, I try to think of everything of what if it was me? What would I want if mm-hmm. it was me? Because it's someday all of us are going to be on the short end of the stick. And yeah. we want to have the stick not treat us like crap, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm always trying to think of what if it was me in a situation? What options would I think were fair that I would go along with? That I wouldn't, you know, not taking advantage of anybody, but also not being, mm-hmm. you know, treated like a turd. So, you know, <laughs> if I if I came to America and I tried to get away with something and I was here a year and I shouldn't have been... Then, okay, put me on a plane, send me back home, right? That seems like a no-brainer. If I'm here a while, or if it's discovered that I've committed a crime or something like that, if I'm the United States, what I would want to do is put that guy in jail and just take him out of the system, right? I wouldn't want to deport that guy because who knows where he's going to end up, you know what I mean? So if this guy is a known criminal and I deport him, I've just sent, you know, a dangerous person for someone else to deal with 
and they yeah, that's a good and point. they don't have the equipment to deal with them they don't have the infrastructure they don't have the prisons or whatever so we're just going to make a problem worse and this is like the whole gitmo thing right we got people in gitmo it's not responsible to release them back to the battlefield. Well, and that's why those countries don't want them back. Yeah, exactly. And so like, we don't want somebody who's dangerous that you've further radicalized. Yeah, right. And the quest, the issue too is if we give them to these countries and they put them in their prisons, they can be broken out. Their prisons aren't secure like our prisons are. You know. Yeah. Look at El Chapo. Yeah. No. Exactly. And so um, is he, he's in the United States now, right? He's in New York, I think. I, yeah, I, I believe that they caught him again. So uh, yeah, he can't get out. But but yeah, the, the thing. <laughs> he had an awesome some escape though yeah right well insane i think it was greece was it greece a little while ago a helicopter came over a prison and plucked someone out of it, it what was, yeah right like was, lex luther style yeah, yeah Superman it was like two? three four years ago or something maybe longer now but <laughs> that's incredible yeah it was a crazy story some mobsters so anyway but the point is yeah i mean think of the moral authority that we have and the responsibility we have since we have a functioning government since we have a reasonably not corrupt system that you know people go to jail and the the guy's there and keeps an eye on them and releases them at a certain time you know so we've got a responsibility to the world a little bit since we've done such a good job managing this stuff to show people how to do it you know and if we just deport people that doesn't that doesn't help anybody it doesn't Mm -hmm. help anybody at the end of the day and it's expensive for us and you know it just doesn't make sense so if someone's really a criminal okay put them in jail but don't deport them. And if someone is a nice person, don't deport them. You know, it's just... Yeah, they really uh, do need to not maybe make laws that are just so broadly written. Well, the thing is, is you don't have to... Right now, the way the law is written, nobody needs to be deported like ICE is doing. That's a Trump directive to do. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're emphasizing the deportations and they're emphasizing getting people out of here, quote unquote, and I think part of it is a signal, part of it's a message to say, like, we're taking it seriously, so you guys should think twice about just hopping across the border and thinking it's going to be mm-hmm. daisies and whatever. Um, and it's up to us to decide, do we want to send that message? Do we want to be a place with closed doors? Do we want to not accept people or give them the opportunity to, Well, you know? and it just flies in the face of historically what America has been. Right. I mean, right. look at what's written on the Statue of Liberty, and right. now it's... Yeah, right. No. And and I'm not saying that the Statue of Liberty should apply to somebody that illegally enters the country, because that's not the case. I do think that if you're coming into this country, you need to be documented. We need to know who's here, where you're from, what you plan on doing, why... Why you've come here, you know, and you all need those to pay things. taxes, and you need to yeah, yeah right. all these things. If, if you're going to be here and enjoy America if you're for what live it is, here, right? I, exactly. If you hop over for a vacation, great. We don't give a crap. Then you got to play by the rules yeah, we right. have. You right. know, even the ones that suck. And hopefully, as we move forward, we can take those ones and make them easier yeah. and get them better. Like right, right. But like when when we when you were bringing up the idea of you know oh, we can just take the people and put them in jail, um, you know that's one of the problems that America has is an over popular and oh, over, so overcrowding in, in prison. prisons and yeah. i think a lot of that comes to like one of the big policies i would like to see changed is the war on drugs absolutely i think the war on drugs is is a failure and it's yeah. ridiculous and no, the, I, here's the thing exactly what you're saying these wars right a war, war. yeah you're not going to solve shit with a war yeah war in afghanistan war in iraq war in vietnam war in on drugs fascism breeds resistance if you try to solve a problem with a hammer that doesn't need you know it's never going to be solved exactly and so you cannot stop people from doing drugs you're just not going to be able to do it 
So then the question becomes, what do we do in response? What are we really, okay, you're not going to stop people from doing drugs. What are we worried about if people are doing drugs, right? If people are doing exactly. drugs, what is our big concern? Okay, and then we look at each of those concerns. Okay, well, let's pass a law that you can't drive drunk. All right, so people can drink beer in their home. Doesn't cause a problem as long as they don't drive. Everybody's cool. Yeah. Same thing with... Because driving drunk can negatively affect somebody else around you. Exactly. If you cross into their lane, right. kill them. If you go into the ditch and you right. come out and you park your car in their living room... right. That's not a good thing. Yeah, right. So that is a law that totally makes sense. Right. But, but we didn't ban alcohol, right? No. There's not because, a war on Because they that found drug. out that you couldn't do that. And when they <laughs> right. did that, it created organized crime. <laughs> exactly. Which no. you, now you just see being echoed in marijuana in, in drugs. or whatever else. Yeah, right. In, in, in things that, like in the case of marijuana, marijuana is, in my opinion, completely benign. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I can see that, and some people say, well, you know, so and so. You know, they smoke pot and, and they're a loser. And I can say, well, freaking look at Kevin Smith or Joe Rogan. They're giant potheads and they're also extremely motivated people well, who get lots of shit done. Yeah, no, I mean, people that it, There's smoke, a spectrum. If you're a loser, you're probably a loser whether or not Ex- you do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like um, like Rogan in one of his old stand-up specials, he had some things saying, yeah, you can take a hammer to build a house or you can be an idiot and hit yourself in the dick with it. Yeah, right. It all depends on the intent of who's using it. But when some Something benign like that. Like my wife was watching a Netflix documentary yesterday about mar- about the marijuana industry. Yeah, and I was kind of going in and out of the room, so I just caught little bits of it. Yeah, but at one point they said that uh, there's a law somewhere that where if you get caught with over sixty plants, you're subject to the death penalty. Whoa! And that blew my mind. The yeah. state is willing to murder somebody. Yeah, over plants. Right. That in. Well, so, like you, you could you could make somebody sit and smoke all sixty of those plants, and it's not going to kill them, right? Well, I think yeah, that yeah, people will say, well, my my kid was killed from pot or something like that by a pot dealer or a drug dealer. Your drugs are bad, and so that guy contributed to, uh, you know, yeah. Well, it's like some, yeah, that person was horrible, right. and probably also because you made it illegal. There's still going to be a demand for the supply for it, yeah. and so now you've turned it into something where some shady. Person right. has right. to deal with it with a gun where right. it could be. Look at the example of Colorado. Right. You know, great things have happened in Colorado right. as, no, as I mean, a result of that. That's the just the perfect case. And it's like, again, you can start with a fear and have a reasonable foundation for that fear. But as soon as you are confronted with evidence that disperses that fear, you know, that gets rid of that fear. For example, Colorado. Nothing bad happened in Colorado. Only good things happened in Colorado. And so you got to ask yourself, okay, if marijuana is just like alcohol, if, just, you know, if, if so on, these recreational drugs. It's far drugs, more benign than alcohol. But that's what I mean. If, if, if you look at the history, prohibition in the 20s, right, mm-hmm. um, to try and control people. And when you try and control people, it's not going to work. It just doesn't work. And mm-hmm. so the government is not there to legislate morality it's not there to tell people what to believe or how to do things or what it's there to keep people from killing each other and yeah. you know and and if they do what how do we respond it's yeah. not it's and, not a and when the government does begin to legislate morality that's where i start to feel like government is overreaching yeah absolutely absolutely and that's the that's the war on drugs it's a war on morality it's a it's a moral position the government is taking that good people don't do drugs that good people don't drink alcohol good people don't 
fornicate, right? All these things, these rules. And when you start passing these types of rules, nobody's going to follow them. So you end up putting people in jail. For ridiculous reasons. Exactly. The amount of people that are in prison for nonviolent for drug right. offenses. Right. It's gross. Yeah, it's, it's and, embarrassing. And then, and then that's where you get into gross lobbyists. You've right. got the pharmaceutical companies lobbying to keep it illegal. You've got private prisons lobbying to keep it illegal. You've got prison guard unions lobbying to yeah. keep it a, illegal. Right. And it's like, I understand that all these people, they want to continue making money in a way that they are and have been making money. Right. But you need to take a deeper look at the larger picture and right. say, is the industry, is the system that is allowing you to make your living, when it's negatively impacting communities right. and individuals, right. your position or you know your company or whatever, it needs to adapt and right. it needs to change well, because you can't just put people right. in prison just because, well, it's it's against the law. Right. But okay, you can go down to the drugstore and and pick up a you know a fifth of vodka drink the whole thing asphyxiate on your own vomit tonight because you were so fucked up that your body didn't right. wake you up and say hey you're dying here yeah right but then you can take something that's like marijuana and smoke a whole bunch of it and it effectively doesn't have a legal dosage or right. it's so much that it's incomprehensible that incomprehensible that somebody could even do enough you know, t- right. to have like that sort of negative life-threatening impact on right. it well yeah and it, it the thing is, is that drugs are bad, right? <laughs> drugs are bad. Yeah, okay. drugs are bad. Like, <laughs> if you if you sit around all day and do drugs, that's bad. If you exactly, if you're, you're a drunk, loser and you're, you're a drain right. on society. Right, right. And if you're drunk all the time, that's it's bad. Just as bad. And if you're high on opioids, uh, opiates all the time, then that's bad too. And we've got an ec- epidemic of uh, people abusing prescription drugs. We have people drunk all the time. We have people yeah. high all the time, right? It, but, you know, I'm yeah. not doing opioids. No. It's, it's not everybody. It's yeah. a problem, and we need to deal with it. Exactly. But, but let's be smart about how, you know, you're not going to throw someone in prison for taking Percocets, you know? It's no, like, in, in really... When you got these lobbyists that are lobbying to make marijuana illegal because, well, okay, in every state that it's gone legal, prescription drug use has dropped. And, well, right. you know what else has dropped? Deaths by prescription. Yeah, exactly. So you want, no, that's 100% you want this benign big. plant. Right. And I'm going to go back to that over and over again because right. it's benign. Yeah, no, There's I get freaking it. nothing. Right. It, it, it fires me up that they're ruining people's lives over something that's so silly. Right. But... You got something that effectively is not going to kill people, and you want to keep that illegal because you want to sell drugs that are killing people. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I. <sighs> but yeah, that it's, gets it's into gross the, to me. Yeah, that gets into the lobbying and and all that stuff. But it's, I mean, it it does come down to public perception at the end of the day. And, exactly. And people do think. I mean, mar- marijuana is at highest levels of of positivity ratings i guess mm-hmm. approval ratings lately and it's again it's because most people respond positively to positive data and colorado is you know and when you know iowa passed a gay marriage and everybody saw like the state didn't catch on fire into you know some immoral mess of yeah but then whatever. those judges were voted out in that asshole propaganda move yeah from right the, the you know the christian conservatives yeah. that were all fired up over it it's yeah, like come right. on right gays are people too and if america is the land of the free how are you going to call america the land of the free yeah no that was in this world but you're not free 
for for gay marriage because why because it offends somebody's religious sensibilities yeah in no, that case right. i'm sorry but fuck your religious sensibilities <laughs> Well, Your religious sensibilities are gross if they negatively impact other people just because it makes you uncomfortable well, that two dudes with beards are making out. Like, yeah, who, right. who cares? Yeah, don't right. look the other way. I don't like any public display of affection. <laughs> I'm not going to go out and make that illegal because right. that's an asshole thing to do. Yeah, no, yeah. And I think it comes down to, again, these people are afraid of what's going to happen. And they see that if, you know, you let gay people get married, all of a sudden people are going to start marrying donkeys or, you know, they, they end up with these crazy ideas. Yeah, about, and that, that and, one always like, oh, maybe they're going to marry a turtle. It's like, what sort of weird shit goes on in your head that you're fantasizing marrying a turtle? Right, or marrying multiple people. Or, yeah. you know, you, you go down, you know, and again, it's about, so, but that's the whole point is that progress in a society is pretty slow. And it's because you got to get most people on the same page before you do something. And the same thing with gay marriage or uh, marijuana use or all these things. You got to just let everybody sort of reach a critical mass. And it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time, but you got to show the evidence. And it takes people to take risks to show if something's illegal, you got to show that it's not a big deal, but that means you got to break the law in the meantime, right? Yeah. And so you have a lot of people that were breaking the law to... Breaking the law, breaking the law to <laughs> in order to uh, to show that it's is not, you know, what people think of it. It's yeah. not a gateway drug in terms of, you know, people doing marijuana are suddenly going to be up on crack or something all the time. You know, it's just... but. Part of it is is the societal pressures. Like people kind of, you know, I don't know. Alcoholism is a problem among like college kids and stuff, but marijuana use, you know, it's or LSD or all these other things. You know, if people are, you know, you, you just gotta educate people and let them know what the risks are. And if people want to take the risk, you cannot stop them. Right. Yeah, so you, exactly. You just you you got to give them the tools to make good decisions. Yeah, and locking them in a cage among no, you, people that are are violent and right. should be locked in a yeah, cage. Right, you're right, going right. to make them live and yeah, right, and eat lunch and take showers with these people. Like, yeah, right. This is not a rehabilitation system. Right. This is. And then when you look at the people that are lobbying to keep it illegal, and it's like, no, this is a money thing. Yeah, right. There's just too many things in America that come down to a money thing. Yeah, right? And I understand in a capitalistic society, right. that's the name of the game. Yeah, right, 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 right. But I think that... You can still be moral and make money. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it, yeah, it really comes down to educating people, but you can't force them. So, you know, you can tell them, well, smoking marijuana is a risk factor for you because of this condition. It may, you know, if you're schizophrenic, you may have a psychotic break. You got to be aware of that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't do it. It's just like, I'm not going to drink a beer if I had a certain drug because it's going to make me feel weird, you know? Yeah, exactly. But they told me the warning on the box, so I didn't, you know? And if you give me that warning, I'll be less likely to to do a risk if if you, you know, if you warn me that, and it has to be a realistic risk. You can't just tell a kid that if you tell a kid, you know, don't smoke marijuana because it's going to make you do cocaine and then you're going to end up dead or something. And then oh, the gateway drug. Yeah, argument. Yeah. And then as soon as that kid sees someone doing marijuana, that's fine. That kid's going to say, <coughs> you have no credibility. 
right? That kid's going to say, you have no credibility because Bobby over here does marijuana all the time and he's fine. Or Chris Rock does marijuana all the time or Dave Chappelle's marijuana all the time. So how can, you know, he's not crazy. He's not dead. He's not killing people. He's living his life and making great comedy or doing great whatever. Joe Rogan, you know, all these guys. So, you know, you, you got to have credibility to your argument. And this is true for any political thing. Your argument has to be credible and your motivation for doing something has to be credible. And if people see that, that you're making smart decisions for good reasons that you can explain, you will get whatever you want passed because um, you can't debate something that's true, right? Some people will, but the majority of people won't. And it seems like the people that do want to debate against the truth, they're debating from a base that is purely emotional. Well, you, and that's where everybody starts, and you have to start there, right? But then you got to learn how to, to take information in and and form it into your worldview so that it, you know. But I don't think some is. I don't think people take it there. It's hard. I think people stop at emotion. Yeah. And they they draw a line in the sand and yeah. say, "I am staying here because I'm completely debating this on how I feel." Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, right. and and that's a problem. I mean, how do you how do you combat that? How do you right. get through to people who refuse to step out of the emotional area that they've penned themselves into and just be able to set that emotion aside and acknowledge it right but then balance it against the facts yeah and, then, and, and that's what you do is you say i understand how you feel i get that if an illegal immigrant killed my brother or whatever i'd be freaking mad too and mm-hmm. i'd be sad and i all those things right and i would be i would have the same reflex like i am anti immigrant right mm-hmm. because you would look at them you're trying to figure out the reason everybody tries to everybody's trying to solve a problem everybody's trying to work through the reason and so if you see an illegal immigrant kill someone you know your initial assessment is well we if that guy hadn't have been in here in this country then my brother would still be alive or whatever right and so you then you approach the problem of so let's get rid of all illegal immigrants because if we get all illegal immigrants out then no illegal immigrants will do this to anybody ever again right mm-hmm. but then you go down to the hamburg in in Iowa city and there's a sign on the side of the wall remembering someone who was killed by a drunk driver that guy was not an illegal immigrant, right? And so then you broaden your scope of trying to solve the problem. You say, okay, well, the problem is not that the guy was an illegal immigrant. It's that he was drinking alcohol and then driving. So how do we solve that problem so that nobody gets killed by a drunk driver again, regardless of whether the driver is an illegal immigrant or otherwise? Exactly. So instead of latching on to it was an illegal immigrant who killed my brother look at it like it was a drunk driver who killed my brother he happened to be undocumented but the problem is that he was able to drink enough and then drive Mm -hmm. you know so maybe we can do something else that maybe bars have fewer parking spots that force people to carpool and you know just try to encourage yeah that's you know just things like this just different ways to solve that problem because the problem is not that this guy was yeah undocumented he was because the the idea is undocumented people are already irresponsible they're already bad people so of course 
it was an undocumented guy that killed my brother or whatever. Yeah, and that's but, obviously not the case. Right. Because generalizations are, generalization will be true to a small percentage. Yeah, right. But it that's can, true it's, for everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I mean, yeah, nothing is ever a hundred percent. Right, right. Well, and I mean, it's just, it's just people are people. Yeah. It really comes down to people are people and you got to, you got to think about psychologically and stuff and you got to, you know, it's just, yeah, it's. It's tough to solve these problems and to think things and be honest about it because you got to have a lot in your brain already to really assess things, right? Especially extreme things that you've never faced before. Like how do you solve a problem you've never had to face before and you've never thought about it and you have no experience and your brain has to build all these neurons and learn all this stuff and create all these connections so that you can assess properly and think about how things are going to work and all that. I mean, it's just, so you got to really know a lot of stuff to make a decision. And, and, you know, I think that's what it comes down to is if someone has an, a position that you disagree with and you think that it's based on their emotional response and less on facts on the ground or whatever. My strategy is usually to look at them and then say, to respect them, first of all, and say, yeah, you should have an opinion. You deserve to have an opinion. And right now you have a reason to have an opinion because you believe something based on, you know, something. And then it's to say, okay, I would believe the exact same thing as you if I had the exact same experience as you. Like, there's no question that we would arrive at the same conclusion if we went through the same steps. And then it it's up to the person that's trying to convince someone else to say, but what if blah? And then give them another explanation that if you want to, you know, um, change their mind, you have to be able to show them why, right? You can't Again, you can't be a fascist about it. You cannot say, you are wrong, you need to change. You really have to tell them why. And I think people, generally, if you do a good job explaining to them why, they will change their mind, right? And if they don't, then maybe you're wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so, and this is what you're seeing with gay marriage and with marijuana becoming legalized and all this stuff is because people's minds are changing. And it's because they are being presented evidence that is irrefutable and they have to incorporate it because they're reasonable people. I mean, crazy people cannot exist in reality. They end up dead or something, right? You mm -hmm. just can't live on this planet and be crazy that long, right? And so uh, most people are reasonable adults and reasonable people can have reasonable discussions and most people are not jerks, you know? So I think most people are responsive to what you tell them if you have an honest discussion. So, and I think that has to be what, when people in political positions talk to other people, it has to be from that it has to be, I respect you as a person, right? I respect mm -hmm. your right to have an opinion. I respect that your opinion is based on what you feel. Um, and as long as both people say that, right? And then it comes down to, well, why do you believe that? Well, let's talk about why. You tell me why you feel that way, and I'll assess whether or not I agree with that, right? And then, mm -hmm. but you need to be able to defend it. I mean, a lot of people have an opinion that they cannot defend. 
And I've run into that all the time where you say, well, why? Why? And they don't have a good answer for it. And it's like, well, why do you believe it in the first place if you haven't really come to a reason how you got there, right? Uh And I think it's because people hear something and it makes initial sense, and that's fine. And they were never really challenged on it. And so they didn't really have to build up that foundation to the opinion they have. Mm -hmm. And then they get upset when you challenge that and they realize there was no foundation. And so, uh, because, you know, we all sit and research something that we care about and we, and we have really strong opinions. We get there after a ton of research and we go talk to someone who hasn't thought about it, but they have an opinion about it. Mm -hmm. And if we just start challenging them, then they're going to not respond well to that. Right. And they're going to have an initial opinion about it, but they haven't done the research that you have. Whereas if they had sat at the computer for two hours the night before and, and come to some conclusion, they would probably get to the same conclusion as you. But as soon as you turn fascist on them, they turn into opposition, right? Yeah. And so, again, it's a fascism breeds resistance. And if you go up to someone with a chip on your shoulder or whatever, thinking that you, you know, whatever, and you try to sell them something that they're not willing to buy, it's just, you know, you got to bring them along. Mm-hmm. You got to you gotta argue your case in a way that will make people follow you, right? Mm-hmm. If, you need to lead. You can't be a boss just like yeah. that that you know pyramid thing where the guy pulling the blocks right mm-hmm. if you go around bossing people around you're an idiot because i know blah and it's just you're gonna turn people off from you yeah and that's exactly. gonna hurt your cause ultimately and so i think there's a lot of that like if i was gonna organize a protest it would be a silent protest i wouldn't say a damn thing and i'd I'd get everyone together and sit on some lawn somewhere holding signs mm-hmm. and just be real nice and quiet about it. I wouldn't get in people's way and make a big stink about it because that just turns people off. Yeah, I think people don't know how to protest right. the correct way. Yeah, they don't. When and you get people that are like, I'm all about Black Lives Matter. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm all about All Lives Matter. Yeah, right. Because my big thing is let's not have a negative impact on the people around us. Right. Well, guess what? You might have a worthy cause, but if you're standing in the middle of the highway right. and some guy that had a heart attack down the road and they need to get him to the hospital in X amount of time right. and you and your asshole friends are just standing in the road because right. you don't know the correct way to protest and this right. guy dies, right. you you just had a hugely negative impact on yeah. some family. Right, right. And uh, right. No, it's, it's, it's not right. It's, it's like stupid. you learn how to get your message across. And I think that's right. underlying, like I would imagine that do you think one of the greatest problems in America right now is that we've forgotten how to communicate with each other? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't, I think America's is better than it's ever been, honestly. And I don't really see that there's a, it a just, it problem. It just seems like we're more polarized than we've ever been. Or am I just, is that just what I'm led to believe just because of, <laughs> you know, the, the advent the media of social narrative. media That's and, the media, and the media narrative and all that? I honestly, I don't have an answer to that that I can tell um, because I don't know what the history of polarization in America is, but I do know there was a time when women could not vote and something had to happen to change that. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it was pretty polarizing at that time to have people that honestly believed women should not have the right to vote and were fighting against people yeah, that thought crazy. women should have the right to vote, right? And so I can imagine that would be a pretty polarizing time. I can imagine uh, when Martin Luther King was doing his thing, it was pretty polarizing because you had people have to choose which side they were going to be on, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and same with Vietnam, you had people choosing which side to be on with that. So I think 
we've always been polarizing. I think it's amplified now because we see it every day with social media or CNN yeah. or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever. Because they're they're it's just the loudest voices are polarized now. Whereas in the fifties, sixties, seventies, whatever, you had the national news that was just Dan Rather, and that was yeah. the, the guy, and he was just telling you stuff. And you didn't have someone on the other side saying, well, he's an idiot because blah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think cable news is really amplified the polarization unnecessarily. And, you know, it started like with Crossfire where you had the Republican and the Democrat arguing their political case instead of a news reporter giving you the facts and mm -hmm. then allowing you to pick which representative you would want. You've got two lobbyists trying to lobby you. You've got two lawyers trying to argue something and whoever argues better wins instead of the facts on the ground. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have to, I think in the, I think we're less, I don't, I don't think we're more polarized than we've been. I think it's just the loudest voices in our country are polarizers our polarizing people are Bill O'Reilly and Rachel Maddow. You know, like these are two people that, you know, yeah, they're different in what they talk about. They're different in their goals or different in their aims, but they're both polarizing exactly. in a way. And as know? a result, I don't want to listen to either. of Exactly. Them. Right. And so you run into, but then you got someone like Anderson Cooper trying to play the middle, but then he's got Rachel Maddow on his right and, and Bill O'Reilly on his left. And you know, some, figurehead like jeffrey lord or whatever mm -hmm. these people that just have to spin it in some way it's like don't even put those guys on the air nobody cares what they think because <laughs> they're not coming from an honest position they're yeah. not they're not they're not trying to honestly tell you something they're trying to spin it in a way they're trying to give you a way to look at it that makes you feel better about yourself right yeah, they're trying to sell their agenda or, or yeah they're, they're trying to sell their spin or, yeah yeah, yeah. Or brand it's like or it's whatever. useless it's, yeah, it's, it's worse than useless it's helpless it doesn't help anyone it doesn't keep anyone honest it doesn't keep anyone um in authority it doesn't hold anyone accountable when they get a figurehead to come on and give a mouthpiece to their the media should not have any representatives from the government on the panel right it should be the yeah. media interviewing the government and then telling the people what they think it is right uh -huh. and shouldn't be the government telling that oh the media is wrong because it's like okay if the media doesn't do a good job explaining it then i'll say they're wrong but mm -hmm. you know the media is there to report <laughs> the stuff don't give me an opinionator to come on and and tell me something that's that's you know uh-huh i mean yeah it's just, it's just that's the so anyway I think cable news is a polarizing thing Absolutely. by nature. And I think that I, there was a law in the 80s or something that banned, I can't remember, it was lifted, and that's what gave the rise for cable news um, so that they didn't need to give equal time to the opposite party or opposite wow. points of view. There was some law that got lifted. Yeah, the creation of echo chambers probably wasn't a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then you got the rise of the Rush Limbaughs and the other the conservative talk radios, and they're just... You know, again, I never understand why these people have, um, why they get uh, credibility. Yeah. Because they don't, they've never, they don't do things on a regular basis. They say things. Well, that, and, and their whole job depends on people listening to them. Yeah, right. And so if they don't make it sensational, they're, right. and in the age where there's bloggers and vloggers right, 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 and, right. and you're competing with the internet, you know, you've got to do something to make yourself stand out. Right. And when you see some of the tactics that some of these people use to make themselves stand out, to me, it's just gross. Well, yeah, I, don't, I mean... I don't like it at all. But it's just like, you know, when you're trying to look up information about something, who do you go to? 
You go to like you want to build a house. Well, you go contact someone that's built houses before. Exactly. You know, in, in Rush Limbaugh isn't the person you go talk to for an honest source on news. You can go yeah. to him for his take on the news. Is going it's going through his filter and right. everything. Right, right. Yeah, but you know but what, what credibility does he have? He's never passed a law. He's never worked in government. He's never been a anyone that's done any of that he's just found he's found a way to make money mm-hmm. telling people what they want to hear and and giving them a, a perspective it's entertainment i get that some people you know uh, listen to it just for entertainment but as long as you keep it in mind that that's what he's doing right don't don't take it and listen to other people too then that's fine you know i didn't just listen to john stewart and rush limbaugh you know and pick one and just get stuck in some echo chamber like you're saying you can't it's bad for you as an individual if you let one voice lead your whole frame of reference and you know it's really interesting because if we want to if we really want to make this podcast interesting, we can start talking about guns. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, let's. If you don't mind, let's take a quick break. Okay, yeah. and, and when we get back into it, let's talk about guns. All right, because, sounds good. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, just a moment here, folks. All right, and we're back. So bang bang. Okay, yes, yeah, perfect. <laughs> um okay, yeah, so when you get into guns, that's where that's where I go into political no man's land because I mean, as you could tell listening to this and any of my other shows, I am pretty liberal. But I I really believe in the second amendment. I really believe in gun rights. I don't like I don't like the idea number one and this is maybe where I really show that I'm probably perhaps more libertarian than anything because I just really don't like being told what to do. Right. And and I understand that the the way that some people have used guns in the past, especially in in, um, in regards to mass shootings and stuff like that, it's really easy to vilify guns. But to me, it seems that the bigger problem is one of mental health and the fact that there are people out there that are so disconnected from the value of human life that they're willing to go mass murder people. And if you got somebody that wants to kill a bunch of people, a gun is just a tool that got the job done. And, and I know this isn't a popular opinion, but, and, and also I don't, I don't like the way that the NRA goes about it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really, I, I support gun rights, but you know, in a way I really don't support the NRA because I mean, you'll you'll have the people who are really hardcore about it, and they'll come in and say, you know, well, you know, the Second Amendment, you know, it says this, this, and this, and we're going to stick to exactly that. And it's like, well, that was a very different world when the Second Amendment was written. And I do believe in the slippery slippery slope argument that the NRA puts forth, saying, you know, well, if we if we make this little part illegal, and then you know, you've just eroded a little bit of the liberties, and they're just going to keep chipping away more and more and more, but I, I do think that these things need to be looked at from um you need to find a middle ground with it. Yeah, absolutely. And well, and I am interested in hearing what, what your take is on it. Well, uh so it's interesting because a gun is a dangerous weapon, right? Mm-hmm, it's a absolutely. machine that shoots something really fast that hurts people, right? And that's sort of the point too. Yeah. Uh but at the same time you know, if you think about 
um, people carry around a lighter in their pockets, right? Or they can, maybe, mm-hmm. a lighter. And what can you do with a lighter, right? You can do a lot of damage. And the interesting thing to me is that um, you don't really hear about people going around setting stuff on fire all the time, right? But that potential is there. So then the question is, what about guns? You know, we hear about any time a gun, you know, is fired, we hear about it. We hear about any time there's a shooting, any time there's a shooting death, especially a mass shooting, right? And so we hear about those. So I, I was just looking up, and and uh, there were fifty thousand reported arsons uh, in that year. And in that same year, there were thirty three thousand uh, gun deaths deaths from guns um so it looks like people are going around setting things on fire (laughs) more often than people are going around and shooting each other um but that's the thing to keep in context right and and gun violence is a national political thing and it's it is a political football right and it's a it's a thing of a it's a it's a it's a wedge issue in a way um because you got people that like having guns and people that don't want anything to do with guns and somehow they have to live together right and so um i think when you look at all of the facts guns are not you know really a major problem in the sense of if someone wants to buy a gun they should be able to buy a gun and we shouldn't have to worry about what they're going to do with it right Mm mm-hmm but then you got the problem of, well, people are going around and shooting each other, right? And so you got to ask yourself, what do, how do we solve that problem? We want people to be able to do what they want and not be told what to do, right? Mm-hmm. But we want to make sure people are responsible so that they're not using these things irresponsibly and hurting, you know, us. Like, it'd be nice to have a gun in your house, but it'd be nice not to have to use it. You know, oh, exactly. Like, you shouldn't have to be excited about using a gun. You shouldn't be worried about having to use a gun. You should have it maybe as a last resort type of thing, but you should not be so cavalier with gun ownership that you're worried that you're going to need to use a gun because anybody can get a gun and you never know who might have a gun. You know, it's just, yeah. So to me, there needs to be a responsibility of the gun owner, right? And people that are interested in guns need to have uh, a desire to make sure that gun ownership is a responsible thing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean government control or monitoring or any of that stuff. It means, uh, it means just making sure that people that buy a gun deserve to have a gun, right? That it's something that they can manage that Mm -hmm. they're, that they're, that they are, uh, I mean, it comes down to like it is in the Second Amendment, but it does say that it should be regulated. You know, regulated. It does, and I'm I have no problem with regulations. Right, and and when, and and when I yeah, and when you and you like the right doesn't need to be infringed, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't need to prevent people from having a gun, but you can require them to, you know, fill out some paperwork, for example, to have the gun or whatever. And so my my thing because. You know, you worry about the government coming. I mean, you look at ICE right now, ICE going around, ripping someone out of their house and deporting them, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to live in a country where the government could 
target gun owners, right? And then just come in and rip that gun out of your house and slowly take guns away from people, you know? So you don't want that, right? You don't want that potential. You don't want Mm -hmm. the government to be able to do that. So that's why people don't want a national registry of guns, right? To be on a list. They think it'll just be a list that someday the government's going to use. And honestly, I don't think the government would ever do that. Of course not. Because that would be the first step of a civil war. Right. Especially you take some of these people who live out in the big Western states. No, no, no. The issue, though, is that they could do it slowly, right? And and if it's only one person, we've seen that people don't respond to protect individuals when one person has something happen mm-hmm. oh one guy gets deported no big deal another guy gets deported oh suddenly you know we've deported everybody you know or whatever so you just mm-hmm. do it well that guy deserved it that guy deserved it so you take away someone's gun well that guy was probably a criminal you know even gun rights people would individuals not corporations but or uh whatever individuals might say well he had it coming you know they would find mm-hmm. a way to defend the power broker so you got to you got to make sure that someone um feels secure in that they're owning a gun and that they don't have to worry that the government's going to come break down their door and take it from them. So I get that. Um the ideal world is that most people just wouldn't want to own guns <laughs> and there's just not that many floating around and you don't have a problem because nobody has a gun, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to regulate it, but it's getting to a point where these gun companies are like selling like crazy and you're getting guns everywhere and they just pass a law in Iowa to allow guns in the capital, you know, and things like this. I mean, mm-hmm. we got to like take it easy here for a second, you know? Well, like, and the reason that they're able to do that is because there's a hysteria that's being created. Right, of like, course. I, I noticed um, when I used to have my carry permit, and so I would train quite regularly so as to be proficient yeah, of course. with my 9mm, right. it was right as Obama was coming into office. Right. And so... And gun sales went... Whoosh, they went up big yeah, time because right. there was all this propaganda floating around yeah. that was being promoted by the nra and other places saying obama's coming in he's gonna take your guns yeah right right they're gonna put serial numbers on ammunition right right, right, and so all of a sudden everybody started stockpiling yeah right right um the the price of an ar-15 went through the roof because everybody was all of a sudden buying them because they thought that hey if you don't buy one today they're gonna be illegal next week right right um, I got to the point where I would have to go to a half dozen different stores just to find two boxes of nine millimeter rounds right. so that I, that weekend I could go to the range and just send right. some lead down range right. and, you know, stay sharp because, right. you know, I was, I was, a, I was and am a responsible gun owner. Right. Right. But I ran into lots of people that they had a gun and they had a nine volt brain. Right. Right. And quite honestly, I believe in gun rights. I don't believe that that person that was the idiot should have had that gun. <laughs> I hear this all the time, right? And and it would freak me out when right. I would see the the cavalier attitudes at the gun range that some people would have. I didn't like that. And right. so I couldn't tow the NR, NRA line right. and say, everybody needs to have one. No, right. there needs to be regulation. Yeah, of course. There in and, and, and there's some regulation I agree with and some that I do not agree with. I right. don't agree with regulation that says you can't own an AR-15. Right. Because in my mind, there is no difference between an AR-15 and a, a Remington hunting rifle that's semi-automatic. Yeah, They're both course. semi-automatic guns. Of course. The difference is one of them looks like military hardware right. and one of them looks like something that you would see right. on, you know, a hunting show. Right, right. The, 
but it, at its base, it's just one is a scary gun. Right. And so they call that scary gun legislation. Right. And I don't agree with that because yeah, right. that's coming from people's emotions. It's an emotional. They said, oh, well, they could take that gun with a high capacity magazine. It's like, yeah, you're saying they could. Yeah, you're right. talking about hypothetical scenarios. You know what a hypo- hypothetical scenario for me is if you want to commit mass murder, you get in a big SUV, you drive downtown somewhere like the pedestrian mall in Iowa City or something. Yeah, right. Boom, run you jump the curb, people. you can run a bunch of people over. If that becomes a trend, are they going to make SUVs illegal? Right. I don't think so. Mm, right. right. But, I mean, it, no, no, no. It, yeah, you got a gun as a tool, and it, it no, all you depends. You got to combat the thing. In societies, trends happen, right? Including yeah. murderous trends. And right now it's a gun thing. Uh, actually, right now it's an SUV thing. <laughs> That's what ISIS <laughs> well, you, is doing. They're driving around, right, running trucks and stuff into people. Is that really happening? To yeah, them? yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what it happened in Germany. It happened. In, oh, they drove unreal. through like a Christmas well, thing, and, and that that perfectly illustrates the point that mm-hmm. it's in the intent of the person that wants to do the horrible action. Right. right. And yeah, I mean, you can't it, protect everyone all the time. That's yeah. the first thing. And but you should try, and we should do what we can reasonably to allow people to be free, but also take steps to combat. The problem is, is that if it's gun violence today, it's SUVs running into people tomorrow, or planes crashing into towers, or the, and you're gonna have to constantly stay at the forefront, and you know you're not gonna be able to stop what happens, but you can respond to it to prevent it from happening exactly again. You know, and so, but like. It's really interesting because in our culture, guns are a pretty, like, if you think about your yourself, who do you identify yourself with, right? Everybody's got someone that they imagine themselves to be. Like, you look at a football player or a basketball player or a scientist or a politician or someone who is, or your dad or your mom, right? You think of yourself as something and you're working towards that. A lot of people think of themselves as James Bond, for example, or, you know, that's their idealistic thing. Who are they identifying with? Um, Keanu Reeves, right? Or whatever. And so in our culture, in our society, guns are a central feature. Like people in movies solve problems with guns. Yeah. That's what they do. They, and, and, they're not going around using diplomacy and being clever and trying to get people to join their side. No, they're fighting all the time. Oh, yeah. No it, matter what you're doing, it's, <laughs> it's these guys shooting those guys, and they're using a gun to do it. And so that's our identity as a country. A lot of people think of the gun as, this is my enforcer. I don't need to be smart. I don't need to be diplomatic. I don't need to figure a way out. I'm just going to hammer these guys into the ground, and then I'm going to get my way that way. And so people think of that. They think of themselves macho. They think of their... That's how they view, and then the gun completes that image for them, of themselves, right? That's their identity. Like, this helps me complete that identity of who I want to be or who I think I am. But I've also seen... I mean, I've talked to so many gun owners that just like you, even like hardcore gun owners that are uh, uh, against like almost any regulation... And very Republican, you know, or conservative or traditional, like, our voters. And uh, and they will say that there are some people that should not own a gun, yeah. right? And so everybody agrees on that. And this is a, an example of why gun ownership is a wedge issue. Mm-hmm. Because these sides play on each other's fears. Whether it's the AR-15 scary-looking gun or the everybody's going to take your guns away, you know, argument. It's just like, no, let's just don't let a politician do that to you. 
Do not let a politician. Yeah, the middle ground must be sought out. Yes, and that politician is not trying to find that most of the time. No, they're you, trying to progress an agenda. Exactly, and you know you got to find. I mean, there are politicians that do seek that and want common sense, as they call it, common sense gun, whatever. And you got to find those people, and you got to want that. But don't fall for the NRI saying everybody's going to take your guns, and don't fall for. Some guy that says, we got to ban the AR-15 because look at it, you know? Yeah. So, you know, but at the same, so what could we do? So what I imagine, um, I really just think you don't need to, I mean, I think people should have to get a permit just no matter what. I agree. You know, even if, okay, concealed carry, that's one thing, but even to own a gun, you need a permit. Just, that's it. And what is it going to take to get a permit? You're going to have to shoot. You're gonna have to pass a test, right? You're gonna they make have you to, do it in a car, but yeah. they don't require you to do it with a gun. That's I mean, ridiculous. I mean, but you should want to. Basically, my opinion, well, yeah. my opinion is that gun regulation should be what responsible gun owners already do, right? If you're a responsible gun owner, you go to the range, you practice, you clean your gun, you keep everything in good shape, you lock it up when you're not using it, you you know all that responsible stuff. Um, I think regulation or any laws it doesn't need to be draconious or or hard it's just like hmm i think i should buy a gun go to the store pick one you want then you gotta file out some paperwork you don't get to take that gun that day sorry you know you're gonna have to fill out some paperwork and then you're gonna have to go to a certified gun range or whatever and then uh let them teach you and you're gonna have to do a course you know, I don't know, maybe one day is enough. I don't know. I, maybe five days of, you know, five weekends, maybe four weekends. Basically, whatever it takes to show that you can handle it safely. Yeah, exactly. And that you understand and that you have a... Basically, it gives you a point of contact for someone to judge you mm-hmm. and make sure you're going to be a responsible gun owner. If a gun <laughs> store isn't comfortable, then then that's good. That's a yeah. check. That isn't the government. It's society policing itself. Some local dude and says, you know, and maybe can flag you or I don't know, blacklist you if you get a, if you're acting really weird or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that way it gives, it gives, puts your skin in the game, right? It, yeah. You're a gun owner. You get a show that you're going to be responsible. And that's your way of telling society, you can trust me. I'm a good guy, right? Yeah. And so uh, I say, permit, you don't need to list what guns you own or how many. That way, if the government sees that you, are a gun owner, right? Because you're on a list, mm-hmm. but keep it at the state level. That but doesn't you should be... have some sort of license to show that, okay, I've been trained. I've passed yes. competency tests. Yes, and I every passed, year you got to review. Like, right. A big one really should honestly be, and this might make rub people the wrong way, but there should be an intelligence test. Okay, well. <laughs> to pass it. I'm sorry, but there just should. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that, I, that I've seen at the gun range, the questions that were asked, all I had to do to get my... My concealed carry was sit through a four hour long PowerPoint yeah, presentation. No, it's a joke. And it's and, a joke, and, yeah. and and take a, a test at the end that was partly multiple choice, partly true or false. Well, and if you were in the military, you just get it. Yeah. Right? So it's like and um people in the military don't they don't learn how to shoot pistols. They don't know, you know, they learn how to shoot rifles, but to go buy a handgun, you just need to show your you know, that you were in the military and Yeah, but the, but some of the questions that were being asked for these instructors and then the looks on the instructor's face, I could tell they get asked this in every class. Oh, yeah, yeah. People wanting to know, like, okay, well, I'm in a store. 
and there's somebody there holding the place up. I can shoot him, right? He's pointing a gun at the person. I'm defending him. Right. And the the and the the, the instructor's like, well, if you're seeing this and you have access to pull your gun out and get the drop on this guy, that means you also have access to go hide behind a, a, a set of shelves and call police. Right. Because they're the ones who are paid to deal with this. Right. What, what if you shoot and you miss that guy and you shoot the pregnant lady behind him? Yeah. Now you're no longer the hero. And even, yes. even if you did get the drop on that guy and you shoot him, the media is not going to portray you as a hero. Right. Because there's a much better story in showing that... You know, I mean, sure, there's some places that are going to say, oh, hero, hero CCW carrier right, right, takes right. out an armed intruder. Hooray right. for guns. And then right. you're going to have people on the other side of the aisle that write news stories from the opposite side saying, psycho gunman, bloodthirsty. Yeah, it's right, the right, Wild right. West out there. People are carrying <laughs> guns. And it's like, no, you just. Right. First and foremost, people need to have a respect for human life, but also right. there just needs to be intelligence. You yeah, need to yeah, think yeah. about it. Like, No, no, but that's what those courses do. They force you to confront those issues. Before you are confronted with them in real life. Perfect. Yeah. Right? And, and I think that that's point. something that should go into the licensing. Like basically. Yes, absolutely. If you're required. If you to expect do... people to police at that level, then they need to go through the law enforcement, right? Academy. Right. Well, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, especially for cops and stuff. That no, no, no. I mean, care. but it's funny because if you expect someone, a regular citizen to have all the experience necessary to determine a threat to assess the threat and to neutralize the threat successfully. Mm -hmm. If you really expect a normal citizen to do that and all they needed to do was go buy a gun, I mean, that's not never going to happen. People, Well, no, you're going to get shit like with Trayvon Martin, with that yeah, guy yeah, exactly. that was a, a glorified yeah, right, freaking right. Uh, neighborhood watch and he yeah, ends right. up killing a teenager. It's yeah, like, yeah, dude, yeah. you are not Batman. Yeah, right. You it's know, worse, and, and beyond yeah, the fact right. Batman doesn't use guns. Bad example. Yeah, right. yeah, you, right. <laughs> you are not the Punisher. It is, right. not, it is not your job to go out and police the streets. We exactly. have police for that. Right. And so I think one of the things that, that concealed carry holders should have to go through should be some sort of course that, that gives you hypothetical situations. Exactly. And exactly. They, they maybe maybe have you sit through a class, maybe do this before there's a class. Right. To weed people out be, being like, you know, hey, you don't have the right mentality for this. We right. just put you through all these scenarios right. and we didn't give you multiple choice options. We gave you this as an essay form. Write right. a paragraph or two. <laughs> Tell us how you're going to respond to this. Right. And if you come out in the response of you're a fucking lunatic. Right. You don't get to have a gun. Right. You don't, right. or or you don't get to have one that you can just carry around with you. Right. And, no, no, and, and and I think yeah, that's I mean that's a great point. You don't want to have the test too hard, that the people writing or trying to judge the test have an issue. That's yeah. A big deal. But you know, like driving school is kind of a joke anyway, right? Anybody can get a license almost. Um, if you have any brain at all mm -hmm. and you know, they make you show some stuff, but most of those guys, they don't care. They take your money and give you a pass or whatever. I could see the same thing happening with guns. So you'd have to do something where you just got to make sure that the, I mean, there's some really cool gun training things, right? Oh yeah. And there's some really dedicated gun enthusiasts that do good training and good, you know, techniques and, and, uh, that's what you want. You want these gun stores. And I think gun stores would be okay with it because it would bring them sort of business. It would bring them regular customers, get yeah. them more skin in the game. They're part of it. And I think if you keep it at the state level, like the federal government could legislate that every state needs to keep a track of gun permits. 
right, at the state level. Mm -hmm. Federal government's not in charge other than to say that just make sure you're doing it. But we're not going to police individual gun owners. You guys are responsible for that, your state. But if someone wants a concealed carry permit, I honestly, there shouldn't be any other permit. It should be if you can own a gun, right, you should be able to carry it. I'm pretty sure that's the way it is in Arizona. Well, Arizona has some of the laxest gun laws yeah. in the country. But anyway. Iowa's making moves to go that way, too. Well, and, you know, the problem is it's okay as long as people are trained. As long as and people that's, get that's the my training. thought as well. Right. I mean, if, if, if you are responsible enough to own a gun, you're responsible enough to carry it in concealed. You know, in my opinion, it just doesn't make sense why you... Oh, he's not quite that responsible. We'll just let him keep it in the basement, you know, and it's just and I get it because concealed carry means you have some level of that law enforcement mentality of assessing a threat and assessing the environment and being able to neutralize the threat safely. Yeah. You know, and just you but, really need to be shown to be able to look at a larger picture. Right. right if, right. if you're going to carry something around that it's really damn easy to shoot a gun. Right and, right. and that's why there's accidental shootings all the time. Even even in cops, there's accidental oh, shooting. All the time, yeah. You talk to enough cops or, oh, perfect. There's this great video online of... Um, instructor? <clears throat> uh, some sort of instructor. And he's talking to a classroom full of kids. He's got... He shoots himself. He shoots himself. Yeah. Some kid asks, can I hold your gun? And he pulls it out and he's waving this gun around. I'm pretty sure it's a Glock. Yeah. And he's saying, I'm the only one in this room that is qualified I've enough to that. handle this gun. He and as he's holstering it, he foolishly, instead of having his finger indexed along the frame, right. he's got his finger in the trigger guard. Yeah. Now, the first thing you learn in shooting a gun is your finger doesn't touch the trigger until the sights are sighted on what you want to shoot. Right. And now with a Glock, a Glock doesn't have a manual safety. Your right. finger, your trigger finger is the safety with a Glock. Right. And this guy who was a professional, just got done telling everybody, yep. I'm the only professional enough to do it, has Boom. his finger in the trigger, holsters it, finger hits the holster, your hand is propelling the gun down, yep. finger pulls the trigger, boom, he shoots himself in the leg. Yep. Yep. On on video. Yeah. And there's, and, and he, and there's and actually it, lots of videos oh, like it, that. And it's good. it gets good, too. I'll post this on the StartCast page because yeah. everybody should see this. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's good he good. hobbles around a little bit and tries to play it off like, I didn't just shoot myself in the leg. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's, just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, I mean, even among professionals, you're going to find ridiculous people who aren't qualified to handle a freaking gun. Right. Well, and there's there's kids that kill people, you know, toddlers that kill people. They find a gun and just it's really easy to shoot. Um, There's there hunters was, that have been killed by their dogs. Yeah, right. they laid their gun on the ground, took a piss. Their dog steps on the trigger and shoots them in the ass. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And um, there was the stories of there was, the one that I still can't get over is a dad and his son went to a gun store. Fourteen year old son, teenager. They went to a gun store to sell a gun, and as they were getting out of the cab, the dad shot his son in the head and killed him accidentally. Just like was just, they were getting ready to go into the store and he went to grab the gun out of the console or whatever in the thing and it discharged and shot the kid right in the head. And it's just like, you know, if you don't respect these things, that's what happens. Yeah. And if, if you make it easy to buy, then people will not respect them as much. Right. So you need to, you need to make, you need to show people the horrors so they don't have to experience them firsthand before they take it seriously. Yeah. They got to realize how easy it is and you got to make sure that you know you're you're helping people be better people, right? And that's what I view this gun regulation as is 
you know, keep it at the state level so the feds don't have anything to do with it. But yeah, but um, you should require people to go through a course and it should be a really detailed course. Like, I fully agree. I mean, these things are serious. It's not like, you know, you I mean, you need to go to college to cut people's hair. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So, you know, you need to have um, you need to have some training and you need to sh- prove yourself, in my opinion. And I think people should want that because you should not expect that you can just go buy a gun and defend yourself with it without training. Because as soon as you're in a real situation, you're going to realize how important training is to respond successfully to whatever threat you face. Like, if you really think you're going to be able to buy a gun, keep it in your house, and if someone breaks in, you're going to be able to use it, you know? you're if, if you're not practicing, if you're not smart, if you're not trained, if you haven't thought about things, if, if you have to assess everything on the fly and try to do everything right without practicing, you have no muscle memory, you have none of that stuff, you have none of these other things, you're not going to be able to succeed. And it's just not going to work for you. So I fully agree. So... Again, my idea for regulation is just what a responsible gun owner would already do on their own. Just mm-hmm. make that a requirement. It's not any harder for a responsible gun owner to do. They already are doing it, but it just ensures that these wackos that are a little too confident in their abilities uh, can't just go buy a gun and, you know, yeah, whatever. So... You know, you just people need to be responsible. I, I believe in personal responsibility. I think that's a conservative type t- uh, point of view. Personal responsibility that means as a gun owner, you need to have some responsibility uh, to to show that you are willing to you know do what's right and and be responsible with that gun. So yeah. Apparently these days it's too much to ask people to be adults. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, and I people get just it. don't want to compromise. And and I think of almost everything that we've talked about today, all of these, all of these issues could be solved with adult compromise. Yeah, just less rigid ideology. Yeah, just be less people rigid, being just be. willing to meet in the middle. Yeah, exactly, and be willing to accept some level of mm, you know it's not going to go my way hundred percent of the time. Yeah. That's just a reality. Get over it, dude. You know, like <laughs> you're never going to get everything you want. Just so let's keep working on it, you know? And yeah. Absolutely. Pick your battles and get what you can now and get what you can later. And, and the other thing is just do things with a good heart in mind, you know? Just act with good intentions. If you do that, then I think things will be a lot easier. Yep. Yep. Try to go through the world without. I don't know, like I always say, try to go through the world without negatively affecting the people around exactly. you. Exactly, that's and your like... standard, that's your gold standard. If you can't figure out a way to do something that doesn't hurt someone, you shouldn't be doing it, you know? Yeah. That's just, that's it. <laughs> well, that might be as good a place as any to wrap up, unless all you have right. anything else. That's it. <laughs> we, we've solved all the problems. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. In three hours, we knocked them all out. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, uh, again, thank you so much, dude. Um, I love it when we get together and have these talks. Yeah, it's great. And um, definitely looking forward to the next time we get together and do this, too. (laughs) Squeaky chair. Can you hear the squeaky chair, people? (laughs) Now one squeak on demand. Um, Okay, so... um, yeah, if if you got any questions uh, for me or or for James, I can I can forward those on to him. But you can get in touch with me either through my Facebook page at Startcast, 
or you can email me, startcastpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at me at the Tubby Ninja. And uh, if you're in the mood to it, hop on iTunes and leave me a review. And, uh, or don't, whatever. <laughs> 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 and uh, I think about that, that about wraps it up. All right, Joe. <laughs> We're going to finish with a Bye, handshake everybody. that nobody can see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, this has been StarkCast.